And we got this knock on the door at our office. And this guy's there at the front door. And he's in like a t-shirt, shorts, and like flip-flops. So I was like thinking like, is he somebody that lives <laughs> on the street or something? Like knocking on to see what's up? Like what's going on here? And he's like, hi, my name's David, so-and-so. Uh, can I come in? I was at your gala. So this guy sits down. And he's just, just crying. And I'm like, I'm looking at my mom. My mom starts crying. And he's like, I can't stop thinking of you guys. Like, I've been, I, I can't stop crying. So he starts to tell us his story. What's cooking, everybody? I am joined in the bunker today by Mr. Mike Kalaluori. Mike is the co-founder of the Headstrong Foundation and ProVantage Solutions. In this conversation, we probably spent the first 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes talking a lot about lacrosse because that is a big part of Mike's story. He was a terrific player at Hofstra in college and then thought about going pro. But then we got to what was the bulk of the podcast, and that was discussing the Headstrong Foundation that Mike co-founded with his family, along with cancer and the battle against this horrible disease. So I'm not going to go through all the details right now, but the story behind Headstrong is is sad at the beginning, but also pretty incredible what they've done. And it does involve Mike's brother, Nick, who tragically died of lymphoma back in, in 2006. But in, in Nick's short life, while he courageously battled the disease at the end, he concepted a, a nonprofit that would directly impact the lives of cancer patients and their families while they're battling the disease to help give them a chance to fight. And so over the past 15 years, Headstrong, if you're not familiar with it, it, it is a huge charity. They have developed into this nonprofit that raises millions of dollars every year for very specific things that are far beyond just cancer research, not to take a shot at any charities that that raise money specifically for research. That's very important. But Headstrong does more than that. They, they again, they directly impact the lives of, of these patients. And I'll let the conversation fill in the blanks there. But things like this help put a perspective on everything for all of us. Because, first of all, a lot of us, unfortunately, have known people, sometimes many people, and sometimes people very close to us, like Mike and his family, with their brother and son, Nick. You know, we, we've known people who battle this disease and, and sometimes die and, and, and it's, it's a horrible thing and it's something that we want to develop a cure for. But to see people dedicate their lives to helping find that cure and, 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 and helping fight back against the disease is a pretty beautiful thing. And, and so I, I'm, I'm glad we got to give that a platform on this podcast. We, we did also talk about some athlete management and that whole industry, which is something that Mike and his business partner, former All-Pro defensive lineman Trent Cole, are involved in at ProVantage Solutions. So I, I do enjoy that topic. But again, the 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 main focus of this one is is headstrong, and and I really really appreciate Mike coming on and and sharing his story and and the things that he and his family have done. It's it's a beautiful thing. So I will put the info for Headstrong in the description of this episode. So I would encourage you guys to check it out. It's it's a pretty awesome charity. Thanks again to Mike for, for coming in. Now, if you haven't used the link in my description, along with the code Trendifier at checkout to get $100 off either the 8 Sleep Pod Pro mattress or 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover, check it out. As I say every week, 8 Sleep is the first legitimate tech company 
to try mattresses. And by try, I mean they got like a B next to their valuation right now. So I think they're doing pretty well. But they're the first legitimate tech company to try it. And in the past, all we've seen is these mattress companies, not tech companies, try to put tech in their mattresses. And it just doesn't work. So what 8sleep does is they have a proprietary app that ties directly into the mattress or the cover, which do the same exact things. The difference is the cover is half the price. It comes in queen or king sizes. You put it right on top of your current mattress. And that's usually what I always talk about because a lot of people don't want to replace their whole mattress. So anyway, either way, you can get the mattress or the cover. But the app ties into both of them and it measures your sleep stages throughout the night. So it measures things like your REM, your body temperature, and all the other things that I'm not qualified to talk about that allow you to continually adjust the mattress but without doing anything yourself. It's automated throughout the night such that you get a deeper sleep and wake up in the morning with a ton of energy. So as I like to say, you'll sleep six hours and you'll feel like you slept eight. So use that link in my description along with the code Trendifier. That's T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R at checkout and you will get $100 off either of those products. And if for some reason, and I'm not familiar with people who've had this happen, but if for some reason you're disappointed with the product, 8sleep's customer service team is phenomenal and they have a full 30-day guaranteed return policy. So just keep that in mind and give it a try. Anyway, if you're not subscribed, please subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you're on YouTube right now, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell button, and leave a like and comment on the video if you would, please. To everyone who has been sharing the podcast with a friend who listens to podcasts each week, you guys are incredible. The word of mouth is, as I've said the past several weeks, it is the most important thing, and you guys are doing an unbelievable job. I would highly, highly continue to encourage that. It's, it's a huge help. So if you haven't done that yet, and you have some friends who listen to podcasts and haven't listened to this one yet, if you could send them your favorite episode, or maybe the most recent one right here, to let them give it a try, I, I think maybe they'll like it too. So let's keep that rolling, and thank you to everyone who's done it so far, and thank you to everyone who will do it. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trendify. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? You're giving opinions and calling them facts. Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. You don't like the status quo. Start asking questions. I gotta tell you, dude, I was kind of expecting some flow. You're a lacrosse guy. Yeah, no, I used to uh, actually. If you Googled my name, you would you would I find did. that I had lots of hair um, in my co- like. I started ninth grade of high school. Um, you know, battled my pops a lot over the hair because he, he wasn't a fan. And uh, funny story, we were out in Vegas as like a family trip. Mm. And family trip to Vegas. Family trip to Vegas. That's a good start. Mandalay Bay too, which was mm. very nice. And my um, my dad's like, you got to get that hair off. It's all dead. Like my dad's old school Italian. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? All by like very strict household. I was in ninth grade at the time, and I was like, uh, I'll get it. I'll get it cut here. Like, if you wanted me to get it cut that bad, I'll take some inches off here. He's like, go get the dead ends cut out of it, whatever. So I go into this casino, go into a salon, and the lady's like, she's, she was a beautiful girl, and she's like, I'm not cutting your hair. I was like, well, my dad's, like, making me cut. He's like, she's like, I'm not touching your hair. She goes, I'll, 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 
I'll cut some of the dead out. But he's like, but you need highlights. I was like, here no. I am as like a ninth ninth grader. Like I was like, whatever. Like wait, what? you were in ninth grade going ninth to grade. Vegas for a family vacation? Yeah, I like your family a yeah, lot. Yeah, already. it's really cool. <laughs> and uh, so next thing you know, like I I'm just going with the flow. She's like, go in this room. Take your clothes off, get in this robe, you're going to get the massage, you're going to get... I'm just, like, going along for the ride. That's kind of, like, you know, just who I am. I'm an easygoing guy, kind of roll with it. And next thing you know, like, I'm, I got my massage, I'm in this chair, they got this foil stuff in my hair, I have no clue what's going on, right? <laughs> my parents actually came looking for me, they walked right by me, they didn't even know, like, I was in the chair. And I'm just, like, <laughs> eyes are closed, I got one of those things over my eyes, like, oh, just no. relaxing. That my parents started panicking. They can't find me. Like I finally like got a hold of them. I'm like, yo, listen, like it's like 500 bucks. <laughs> my dad, I thought he was going to murder me. Like it was. Oh wait, so he said he was going to pay for it yeah, before you went in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. missed that part. Yeah, and he comes back. He's like, they didn't even cut your hair. What do you mean 500 bucks? <laughs> I was like, listen, she said it. Ray, her name was like Ray- Rachel or something like that. She's like, I'm not cu- touching your hair. I'm like, I'm not cutting it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like whatever, it's all good. But that was a interesting trip i mean i'm the baby of four boys so like all of us were out there and it was just and very, you came back very, with blonde highlights. very interesting yeah came back with and then i had long hair ever since and um all through college like bro bible all these groups were trying to like vote my hair as like best flow and division one lacrosse it's a very metallica like, look all this kind of stuff so girls digged it you know what i mean and that i'm uh i've always been the type of just being different you know what i mean and um when i was when I graduated college, I opted out to do professional lacrosse, um, and really? I just wanted to get right into my career. Now, real quick, what league? Because now you have like the NLL and the PLL. PLL. I've always been a little confused by because I don't totally follow it. I know Chaz yeah. was invested in one of them, but like at the time, was there just one league? Two. Or there so were there two then. Major League Lacrosse. Okay. Funded by Jim Davis, who uh, owner of New Balance. Okay. And he also had um, Jake Steinfeld, who started like Body by Jake. He was like a big bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a guy, Dave Morrow, who founded Warrior Sports. I'm sure you've seen Warrior hockey sticks, lacrosse sticks. Oh, yes. Manufacturer. Yes, so those guys ran the league for a while. Um, it got to a certain extent, but I think those guys had other initiatives. One got involved with the marijuana business. Obviously, one was heavily involved with sneakers and, <laughs> and also like charity work with obesity and things. But, um, so I opted out to do both, like, because I got drafted to do both MLL and and NLL. No, which how is how does that um, work? Like, so how M- can they both draft you? So MLL is outdoor and NLL is indoor. Different but, different times of year. But did you opt in to both? No, I just opted out. Opted out. They were still trying to get recruit me to play, but I was just like, listen, I play the best lacrosse. Division one lacrosse is like the best that you can play from a team standpoint. I'm a big team guy. I love being right. part of teams. Um, even like with work, everything's team oriented. And, um, I think you said this, you were at Hofstra though. I was at Hofstra, played Lax there. And that was, I felt like I was ready to move on. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've reached, you know, the, the highest that I can go the, and I, and I felt like from a fulfillment standpoint, like I can go do this professional thing, but a lot of it is ton of travel, not a lot of pay. And also it it became like an individualized thing. And that just wasn't me. Right. And I felt like I wouldn't be successful in that model. So jumped right in. And the reason why I was telling this story was I jumped right into uh, a job at Penn. And I was managing, it's crazy, at a college, I was managing over like 300 clinical trials in the hematology oncology department. 
at University of Penn Abramson Cancer Center. How'd you get that? That's like a big job. My brother Nick situation, right? And then the organization that I was volunteering that I now work full-time for, and then uh, got very close to Nick's doctor, who's the director of lymphoma there, started working for him, and, and, was, and then I, started, I took on more and started basically all the hematology, oncology lead doctors there. I was managing their studies. And I'll never forget my first meeting on Tuesdays. I had to report all the data, organize the meetings. So I'm in like this long table of all these like major doctors at University of Penn. And I had like long hair, like down to this. And I never forget, like some of them did have longer hair, but like it was, you know, it was styled and, and cut. They're like, who the and, fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, like, you know, <laughs> and I, uh, as soon as the meeting was over, I called my mom up. I'm like, mom, I think it's time to, to cut, cut my hair. You know what I mean? So that, so I ended up cutting it and donating it to like Locks for Love or one of those organizations because I'm big on charity and giving back. And uh, so there, never since then, I haven't, I'm actually losing the hair now. You know what I mean? Well, got, that's, got what, the, that's what got, happens when you get older. Got the kids and uh, the wife and, uh, you know, the hair's on the way out, but it's all good, man. Last year, I, I grew up for like 15 months after COVID hit because yep. I was due for a cut yep. like for two or three weeks before the pandemic and then, you know, just never did it. But yep. It's always nice to see like the old days when you could just rock it in college. So I saw the Metallica look on there. I was like, well, that's kind of what I was expecting when you walked in. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing of the past, but it's all good, man. But you didn't do any pro lacrosse. You just totally. I did. Totally there was another league that spun out that was a little bit more like, like the like the uh, Globe Trotters, where it was like tour based, mm. similar to like what the new. So essentially, like over the last two three years. A new league has emerged with Paul Rabel and his brother Mike Rabel launched this uh, PLL, which yes. is Professional Lacrosse League, and they're they're doing a great job. They 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 really have built like an incredible platform that has like a ton of opportunity ahead of it, and really allows players in the in the near future, like players professionally are going to be able to play full time and like make it a career. You know what I mean? Right. Not to the extent I don't ever think it. You know who could, who knows, but. I don't ever think it would reach like the NFL level of, of like what salaries are, but at the same time, it, it could get somebody like a hundred thousand a year or in, and more. You know what I mean to play the yeah. sport full time, which I think is great. Paul's done a great job with it. They have they have incredible investors like Joe Sai from Alibaba and Robert yeah. Kraft, and they have like the media partner with NBC. So they've done they've gone about this the right way. They've also have merged with the the former league, the MLL, which was the professional outdoor league and they acquired some of those teams and players so i think uh so back to to your question there was a group called lxm which was basically started out of um california two east coast boys max and Alexander ritz that went to radner and both played at maryland they were great lacrosse players and scott hotstead who runs a company now called legends you might see it all over the place it's an apparel company a lot of the NBA is involved with it. Kobe Bryant was an initial investor. Hmm. Um, they're 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 crushing it. But they um, had a company called Adrenaline, and they they had a thing called the West Coast Stars, which was like a lacrosse club out west in Cali. And they got some guys that had some some money that were looking to invest in an opportunity, and they launched a league. And I played in that a little bit. It was a tour based model. They basically traveled to different cities and put rosters together from guys from those cities to draw. Um, it's crazy. I played at Radnor High School up here in PA, and Wale, okay. before Wale took off, Wale actually performed a concert 
Oh, that's cool. At the game. And then next, you know, like I think a year later, he got signed, I think, to like Maybach Music or whatever with Rick Ross. And wow, his, hey, whole, man. his whole career has just changed overnight, right? So where's he been the last few years, though? I think he's in Cali. He's just chilling. See, there was a while there, where he, back in the mixtape era, where he was just dropping a mixtape. Like so, he went through some. Left and I right. think when I what I read, I think he ran us into some issues with his label, mm. and he was just like taking a time out to try to maybe play the game or just trying to figure things out. Now he is starting to come back with some songs. He just re- released some new songs recently, and they're doing well. So wait, I got to check that out. Yeah, I like, I'm a Wale, Wale fan. I haven't Wale's seen that good. though. I like Wale as well. That's that's cool. Yeah, man. But you were saying that Lacrosse signed a deal with NBC. So that wh- which league was that again? The uh, new PLL. So, so they're the streaming PLL. games out, Got streaming it. games out to all these kids. So I think that's huge because I don't think before they had the distribution channel to be able to reach folks that are lacrosse fans but couldn't necessarily go to a physical location. So the fact that they can sell that subscription now through NBC Sports is definitely a huge plus. And they also have some invest... I think they have a couple of private equity firms behind them as well that have their hands in stuff. There's there's a lot of big things going into this because, like, just you think numbers in your head where you're talking about, well, you know, maybe some of these guys can make $100,000 or a couple hundred thousand dollars and get to that point. And, you know, the cap of it's not going to grow to NFL size, which I do agree with you. But I've been always a little bit confused by this because when I was growing up, lacrosse started to explode it you did. know and and you were a part of it right yep. so you were there and and you saw what was going on like it, it went to a very mainstream sport for kids to play and yet from like a marketing perspective for some reason it's never gone to that next level where it's like oh we're gonna watch the games now like it, it never even felt like when espn would air division one games or something like that they'd always be at like 12 o'clock on like a saturday in non-football season yep. no one's watching and i was always confused like how's that not going to break the barrier when it also seemed like more kids were playing lacrosse than baseball yep absolutely i mean the especially at the amateur level like the youth level yeah. the sport just took off i mean there's a 70 percent crossover from a hockey player to a lacrosse player um and Is that there was, high yeah and, wow. and there was just a, a huge and it's still growing um I think the club side of things has definitely taken off over the like last six, seven years. Seems like it might be plateauing a little bit because uh, folks were getting in it. They didn't necessarily realize like how to actually operate mm-hmm. um, or their kid graduated and they just kind of moved on. Um, but the sport definitely is sustaining in participation goes. There's a lot of kids that still play. And it's a great sport because it's got the physical side. You know what I mean? It's got a little bit of yeah. everything in it. Where it's not like football where like you're slamming every single play, but there is contact. You know yes. what I mean? And then it's also a mix. I, to me, it's like a little bit of like basketball, uh, hockey, and football kind of combined. And even a little soccer. Like it, if, you, if you're an athlete, and that's why like a lot of the great Division One lacrosse coaches and coaches in general like preach to, to the youth players to be like a multi-sport athlete. Because the sport itself like is such a crossover to so many other sports. Mm. And the reason why like I loved it was because you didn't have to be like in basketball if you want to be a center. You know what I mean? How high, yeah. how tall do you have to be? If you want to be an off, if you want to be successful in football, and I want to be an offensive lineman, like I got to be three hundred and something pounds. Like lacrosse, Matt Rambo, who's the best player in the professionals right now, offensively is like my size, if not smaller. I think lacrosse um, and hockey, you can do that because you know you can have in in hockey, you can have the big defenseman, and yep. you can have the quick 
you know, left winger or something yep. like that. And yep. it's, it's kind of the same in lacrosse. Yeah. So, and U.S. Lacrosse just announced a new president who actually went to Hofstra, which is cool, uh, this week, new president there. So, they kind of regulate and govern the youth side of things, and they try to help, like, the high school side as well. And they have some – they also do, like, the world teams and things like that. that mm. um, so, yeah, there's definitely – What's adoption like stuff. in other countries, though? It is. It's growing. I, ne- I never asked about that. Growing, growing like crazy. Really? Yeah, yeah, and no, absolutely. I mean, Joe Sai, who's you know co-founder of Alibaba, he's mm-hmm. doing a lot in Hong Kong. There's a lot of stuff like there's the World Games, which is active, and I'm like the cross. It's like weird. Like I love teaching it. I'm not like a huge like I gotta watch the game kind mm-hmm. of a guy. Um, I've kind of drifted on my interest. Um, you know, have gone in, in a different direction. But, like, I love teaching the sport. You know what I mean? That's kind of, like, my way. I don't play anymore. So, like, my way to kind of stay connected is to grow the game. And I think the best way for me to do that and to get fulfillment is to teach it. Because a lot of times, like anything, like in lacrosse, the smallest little change of, like, where a kid puts their hand is, like, could be the difference in them catching and throwing. Mm. You know what I mean? So I'm, you know, over here in Jersey. I started the lacrosse club here. I also have like uh, a program that we launched called Head Start, which is like for little kids, mm. three to seven year olds. My daughters are in it, and just having kids run around. But it's been cool because we have a group of kids that keep coming back, and which is great. You know what I mean? There's a lot of soccer players over here trying to convert those yeah. soccer players into lacrosse players because they're great athletes. You know? Are they? They're playing lacrosse in the spring though, out here, right? Spring in like your recreational high school, but clubs three sixty five now. So wow, yeah, we have op- I operate with um, with Headstrong. I think we have seven clubs now and operate in different states. But yeah, it's a it's a year round thing. Do you think like the pressure on kids so young because of how competitive it is? And and I like competition, so I, yep. you know we don't. I, I hate the fucking participation trophy culture and all that. So competition's good, but do you think? That they're making them pick a sport, like a sport, way too early. I feel like I hear younger and younger kids like, oh, I do X year-round. I don't do anything else. You know what I mean? And then I feel like a lot of them burn out yep. once once it gets to, you know, you're 15, 16. Maybe you didn't grow as much as another kid or you get a little less good. You've been doing this forever. And now it's like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I think, I think it depends on the parents. Mm. You know what I mean? A lot of times... Um, we typically see at the middle school years when a kid will actually make that transition. They really want to commit to lacrosse or whatever their sport might be. Some sports it's earlier because you have to get in earlier just because the way the system works. But, um, I mean, we preach all the time, you know, that you should be a multi-sport athlete, that you should play other sports. We typically, and we complement that by like in the fall, we'll only run sessions on like Sundays. So that way they can Mm. do their fall sport, um, in the, during the weekend on Saturdays, a lot of times on Sundays. That's good. They have church in the morning, but outside of that, they're pretty much open besides Eagles games. So um, we typically try to – and we also have a lighter fall. Like we have a lighter schedule in out se- outer seasons. Our main season for club is in the summer, and that's where all the, a lot of the tournaments are mm. for a recruiting standpoint and just in general. So summer's heavy, but fall is a little light. We do some trainings throughout the year, but we try to – complement other sports and and not necessarily put people that's good. parents in that predicament that situation to say like we're not that type that's not who headstrong is now i can't speak for other programs because you know they do this for a living like headstrong's a nonprofit. 
these other groups are for profit, so it's their livelihood. So their strategy and the way they go about business is different, you know? Yeah, I've actually never had to say this before, but you're talking like over the mic over here. So just keep that, yeah, gotcha. like in front of you and keep it pointed towards you a little bit. That but sounds good. Other than that, that's good. But when you were growing up, though, it sounds like your whole family was into lacrosse. So, you know, were you picking, were you one of the ones who picked it by middle school and you were just doing all lacrosse or were you still playing other sports too? So my brother Nick and I were the first lacrosse players in the house. My mm. two older brothers were soccer, swimming. Got it. So you guys were different. Third grade, got introduced to it from a neighbor, uh, Michael Hagen, who was like a mentor of mine. And Mike gave me a stick and was just like, yo, try this out. And when I was in third grade, um, I'll never forget like that day, I ran into, we lived across the street from a park in Delaware County. Hmm. And I, we ran, Nick, my brother Nick and I ran into my parents. We're like, we're going to play lacrosse. We're going to get full scholarships to, to, to play Division One lacrosse. And my parents are like looking at us like, what's lacrosse? <laughs> what is lacrosse? <laughs> and my dad's like, just typical my dad. He's like, you get a scholarship, I'll buy you a car. I was like, <laughs> shake on it. And um, so that actually happened. You know, I was able to, fortunate enough to, you know, play for a great youth and high school at the time because club lacrosse really wasn't a thing. There was only like two clubs, three clubs yeah. in the area. But um but yeah, no, I, I was able to, you know, that was a dream of mine. It came true. And my dad actually did have to buy me a car. What kind of car? A Lincoln LS. All right. Yeah, I was cruising. You're riding in style. Right. Uh, yeah, people think it's an, it was an older car, but I loved it. Nice leather seats, nice system. You uh, know? My, my grandpa actually bought a Lincoln. He never bought one before, but he got one a few years ago. And I'm not going to lie, it's a great car. Right. Like, right. Smooth V8. Yeah. yeah. Underrated. But your your brother Nick and you were you like the same age or was he a couple of years He's older a than you? Year ahead of me. Got it. And so he, did he get a scholarship for lacrosse too? He did. Yeah, not full scholarship, but he did get a scholarship. And did, he went to Hofstra with yep. you. Yeah, went there together. And so that's that's the interesting part of your story though, because you know you guys were tied by the sport and everything. And then I'd, I'd like you to tell it, but your your brother got lymphoma. Yep. I think when you were what like a freshman. Yep. Yep. So freshman year, second weekend, my coach John Danowski, who's the coach at Duke now, um, had like Nick and I battling at every practice. Like he was a defender, I was an offensive player, so he was crushing my arms like every ground ball drill and just every drill. We were one on ones, and the Kyle Lowry brothers get up. Like so, you know, he was kicking my ass. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, it was a great two weeks. September twenty first. That was a Wednesday, two thousand five. My best friend from actually back here, Evan, had passed away from bone cancer. Mm. And and we were kind of anticipating that. So when I got the phone call, like if my parents were there, I was like, they're here to tell me about Evan, right? Come to find out, uh, that was the same day we were getting like outfitted from STX. And I think it was brian lacrosse at the time mm. uh they were they were out like we were selecting in the catalog what sticks we want what gloves we want helmets all that stuff which is really was really cool and uh we used to call it christmas because it was just like they used to dump equipment on us and stuff so my coach was like you know before you place your order can you come into my office so i was like yeah no problem and i was like thinking like okay they might need help with something carrying stuff down to the locker room and my parents were in the office so I was like, I immediately thought like, shit, they're gonna hear, they're gonna tell me about Evan passing away, because mm -hmm. he had a he had um, a sarcoma, like a bone cancer, and 
he had a second he had a relapse basically he had to get his leg amputated he was just like in a, in a bad shape but me and him were really really close and got even closer when he got sick but next you know like my brother nick was there and he looks at me and i could tell by his face like something's up and he's like i have cancer and i was like what and we were like i know that i we knew that like he was getting uh tests done for his adenoids because they thought that he had something wrong with like his allergies it was more like um they were just trying he was at an ear note ear uh nose and throat specialist mm-hmm. to get some further va- evaluation on his uh adenoids which were like enlarged in the nose what's and th- what's an adenoid it's it's tied into like Black the lymphatic thing. system um and it's a part of, well, they thought it was like allergy related. Come to find out, it's an aggressive, he had a, an aggressive form of cancer, given three months to live. And he looked at me and was like, I, I have cancer. I was like, like, I was just like, what? Like, no way. Like, that's. Wasn't he, wasn't he practicing with you? Like, yeah. Before? Yeah. So he was up there with me. My parents came up. And what's crazy is, like, when you're 18 years old, the doctors have the right to just call you and tell you the news because you're an adult now. You're not a minor. So my parents called the doctor and said, can you give us until tomorrow to get up to New York to be there with Nick so when – and we want to tell him the news. We don't want you to tell him over a phone. So, like, my parents showed up. They told Nick. And then I, I walked in. They told me that. Then literally, like, five minutes later, I get told Evan passed away. Oh. It was just like – Though, like, my feet were just, like, ripped out from underneath of me. I was, like, wow. Like, just, like, ran into a wall. You know what I mean? Um, Nick, so he, he had stage four cancer? My, and right away, three months to live? Three months to live. They'd never seen a tumor like this before. It was, like, a small tumor in his adenoid, which is, like, right in your nose area. So he came back here and got evaluations from all these different hospitals. CHOP, Penn, Hopkins, MD Anderson, Sloan, like all these places, and everyone agreed with the same treatment. So he ended up getting treated at Penn, and he la- he lasted fourteen months. During that fourteen month process, he did he, the dude was just like on another level mentally. Like his mental toughness was just insane. And um, like I only saw him cry like one time during the whole entire thing, fourteen months. But he he was uh, way beyond his years, and um, he saw a theme like. There was all these patients and families that were just going through all these different hardships. But he started to, like, have a lot of conversations with these folks. And Penn kind of used him as, like, a poster child to talk to patients that were, like, suicidal and families that just needed to, like, needed a lift for the day. To, the like, doctors were asking him to talk with to other patients? Patients, yeah. So he would go around and meet with a bunch of different patients and share his story and just try to wow. lift, lift people up. Um Started like train. They thought he was like going to train for like a triathlon. He's doing like with his chemo pole. He's doing like laps around like the floor at Penn. He was in for a transplant for like thirty four days straight. Oh my god! Yeah, and he actually almost died. They they double dosed him on a drug, and his whole body swelled up like like a balloon. It was insane. Um, that's a whole nother story. But lasted fourteen months. But during that fourteen month journey, he started to like hear the same issues. The financial issues, the emotional toll it takes on you, the 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 residential situations that people people are living out their cars, like literally living out of their cars in order to come to Philly for treatment. Wait, wait, cancer patients are living out of their yeah, cars. and their families. Yeah, insane, dude. It's insane. Like, how does? Can I ask about that? Like, how that financing works and everything? Because 
I've seen some, and I know it varies, and it can yeah. get crazy. But I've seen some of the numbers that people have to pay, like if they go through twelve months of chemo, like on and off, something like that. It'd be like a hundred grand, two hundred grand, whatever. Like, do, is it like a like a house loan? Like you have to pay a principal? Like how does that even like work? You have to pay a portion back. I mean, you have health insurance, but that only goes so far. Plus, my brother Nick's <sighs> situation was. Um, he was in limbo because he was transitioning to, uh, he was 19 diagnosed. So technically like he wasn't under my parents' policy anymore. Then my parents couldn't get insurance for him. It was insane. I'll tell you this. Doesn't that last till your 20s? Oh, that was before then. Yep. Shit. So just, so the last month that he was alive, October of 2006, his medical bills were $250,000. For the month. For the month. Yeah, for what? I mean, this like, is like the what leading, kinds of things. This for for all the care, for all the medicine, the 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 medicines he was on, the infusions, the blood transplants, the so he was doing all that, doing all that stuff. I mean, this is like the leading cause of bankruptcy in, in our country right now, and cancer is projected to be the leading cause of death. It was actually by I think twenty twenty was going to surpass heart disease, and the the government makes so much money. I mean, it's a trillion dollar industry. You know, and what I learned, what was interesting when I was at Penn, which is one of the reasons why I left, because I was like collecting the data and seeing what was going on. And and even just having, I had a lot of conversations with a, a lot of pharmaceutical reps. Drugs were being engineered for like maintenance. They weren't being engineered to cure. Wait a second. You're saying that they were not actively trying to cure the disease. Yes, they were. They're creating drugs that would basically keep you alive longer. The whole pharma industry. Correct. Has that changed today? I mean, there's a, a there's a new movement of immunotherapy, which is like using your T cells. Yeah, that was a part of T therapy. I was yeah. a part of that with Carl June and and Dr. Porter when I worked there, and that's a, a new way of going about things. Um, but a lot of the drugs that were being implemented when I was there were were more maintenance related. It was just like, okay, you get cancer, we're gonna try like the traditional stuff with like chemos and transplants. If that doesn't work, like then you're then it's a, the drugs that were being manufactured were more or less maintenance because that led to more side effects, more problems, led to them creating more medicine, which makes more money. Um, I mean, you look at it, like how quickly did they come up with a vaccine for COVID? You know, you're talking six months, maybe it's like, like, eight, like, yeah, I always think like if they really wanted to cure cancer or I'm not saying that they could cure every cancer, but like if they really wanted to tackle some of these things and not to say that there's doctors that aren't out there, not to take away or discredit sure. what doctors have done over their history and what they're doing now. Cause like I did work with doctors that were, like this, they were like married to it. They had no life beyond it, you know, but there's also limitations to what they can do and how they can operate, uh, which I think held them back. But deep down inside, I do think that if the government really wanted to, to fix cancer, they could, I really do think that. But if you look back, there's always a disease that dominates the human race. You know what I mean? And cancer seems to be, you know, that, that one that's leading the charge right now, you know? It's fucking crazy when you think about the fact that chemo, and I know they've they've adjusted it over time and things, yeah, but yeah. that therapy, yep. quote unquote, say that with major air quotes, 
it's been around forever now, yep. right? It, we're still doing the same thing as the main course of treatment for someone who doesn't have a tumor that can be immediately removed. Yep. It's, it's too big. We're still doing the same thing that essentially, I mean, it, it kills your entire body. Yep. So people, the respect I have for people that have found a way to survive the disease. Insane. And then be able to have some normalcy maybe like a decade later. Like maybe they can work out like a horse again. Yep. It's insane to me because essentially their whole body was killed off for whatever it was, a year, chemo, two years, whatever it was. Yep. And then they had to rebuild it. And it's like you can't – you're never going to be whole again, yep. you know? And then the chances of a secondary cancer like goes up significantly. So some down – some time down the line, you're going to get something else most likely. Like the, your chances like – I think you go up to like, I, I could be wrong, but like, I think you go up to like 70% of going, of, of, of in your lifetime getting re-diagnosed with a secondary cancer. The other thing too is like, what you just said to add on to that, most people die from complications that the chemo and drug do to your body. Like my brother Nick died oh, of right. kidney failure. Right. His body just couldn't regulate the drug out of his system anymore. You know, eventually your organs get tired. You know what I mean? They're in there. They're, they're putting these drugs in your system that are depleting your entire immune system. And the effects, like, radiation alone never leaves your body. So, like, we work a lot of patients who, who literally, like, lose all their teeth, be, like, and, and have crazy problems with their, with their mouth and jaws and nutrition and things like that because the radiation that they got, you know, 15 years ago because of the cancer that they had, you know? There's so many. How, how do they make that decision? By the way, I What's should that? I should know that. But What's like, that? you hear about people who do chemo or they'll do radiation. What goes into the which one you're going to do there? Decision? So like most cases, it's like a hybrid model where they start out with chemo to try to get things under control, and then they mix in radiation. Now there are some better options of radiation, like proton beam therapy and things like that. Problem with that is there's only like four or five institutes in the country that have it. Penn's mm. one of them. So people travel. Like when I worked at Penn, the founder of Adidas was one of my patients. I had the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays as my patient. The guy who started Dollar Tree was one of my patients. Not his, his wife was my patient. Now I can't speak to those names, but like it's crazy. Yeah. People travel in, especially at Penn, from all over the world to come here. What and are that, the What are the big? There's Penn. There's MD Anderson. There's Hopkins, Hopkins. and then Sloan Kettering. Yeah, are those, Sloan Kettering, are and those then the out, big ones. California. There's City of Hope, which is a big one. There's Cleveland Clinic which is a good one. Um, you know, a lot of these larger groups too are starting affiliation programs with smaller networks, healthcare networks, things like that. I've been so removed that I, I haven't been there. May of 2011, I left Penn. I was actually, so my original path was this. Oh, you were there a while though. I was there for like, what, three three years? Okay. I, was in a, I was working for Dr. Schuster. I was um, running the foundation, Hedron Foundation, but I was also in a post-bac program getting eligible for medical school because I was originally out of college thinking of getting into medicine. Uh, I wanted to become like a doctor. You're motivated by my this experience. Experience. And that was like where my focus was. And I have my names on studies in the New England Journal of Medicine. I was collecting, looking at things under microscopes. I scrubbed into like so many different procedures, bone marrow aspirations, all different types of things. I would just scrub in at, at procedures at, you know, at Penn. And a lot of them were obviously my, the patients that I was, you know, working with. Um, Wait, quick question on shoot. that. When you say patients you were working with, because that's a, that's like the third time you mentioned that. When you started this, you were saying that you were 
you were running the studies there. I think like over 300 clinical trials, you yeah. said something like that. So you're saying within the context of those studies, you were also boots on the ground with the individual individual patients you yeah, weren't just so, managing what was happening as far as the data collection yeah because i was responsible for the data so i had to make sure that these patients were getting their labs whether they were in the hospital or in the in at home in their community also too like i was the doctor's right hand man so a lot of times they would hit me up if they couldn't get a hold of him because his schedule he would see like 40 something patients a day we would be there <laughs> i would i would train in i'd be there like 8 a.m i'd be there till 11 12 o'clock at night working with this guy and i felt like it was an honor because he was such he's i still he's a, a good mentor and friend of mine like i can call him today if i have a problem with my kids myself he'll answer instantly That's dr great. schuster he's amazing he travels the world and and speaks on lymphomas but that a lot of times he was so he was he's very unorthodox in his approach as far as how he treats medicine he lets the, he's the one doctor and I'm kind of biased because I worked for him, but like he was a doctor and still is. I think it's why he's been so successful in keeping people alive for long periods of time is he lets the disease tell him what to do. He doesn't necessarily give you extra treatment just because the book says to. You know what I mean? Um, he goes about things in a way that to me logically makes sense. Mm. And he also has an incredible bedside manner. Well, he'll sit with you for two hours if, if, if you want and talk about your kids or whatever you want to talk about, everything besides cancer. And uh, had such an incredible, I mean, you speak to his patients, they love him. They love him. And he would see 40 of them a day, you know, um, it, was, it was just insane. So a lot of times those patients would be emailing me or calling me to find 40 out. 40 cancer patients a day. A day, yeah, at, at Penn, yeah. Whew. Yeah. And uh, like he was booked for probably like, you couldn't come see him for like three to six months because his days were so one patient to the next to the next to the next but um yeah it's in it's insane now they're starting to try to find better ways at allowing patients to receive care uh in their communities you know what i mean but what, what, no what do you mean by that like being treated like getting your your blood drawn or getting your blood or getting chemo at like your local hospital so i can go to like inspira you know what i mean or, or virtually here in, in in south jersey instead of training in or driving traveling into philly uh, it makes it a little bit more convenient. I guess because the actual treatment itself, it's not, it doesn't matter. Technically, I shouldn't say that, but it is when you're talking about like why people go to these places, yep. go to see the best doctor, they're there to get the course of action, but that doesn't mean the doctor needs to stand there while the course of action, Correct. some of it. Some yeah, of it he basically builds or she builds the game plan, but the drug can be administered anywhere, you know. One of the biggest things that I saw, and I've been doing Headstrong, so I work directly with patients like all the time for the last 15 years. We've, I've, we've assisted over like 20,000. But a lot of times folks, especially like if they're not near like a Philadelphia area that has a great hospital or hospitals, mm-hmm. Chop's great, Jeff's great, Amazing Temple's great, yeah. yeah, Penn's awesome. Like folks that aren't near there, they'll they'll literally go to like – and not to knock it, but like they'll go to like a Crozier hospital, right? And they'll get evaluated there. And you're, when you first get diagnosed with cancer, like that's your best chance of survival is, is your first, as soon as you put drug in your system, that's your first chance to, to get into a remission. I always say remission. Some people say cured. Um, but what I always saw was we'd have patients that would come in that were misdiagnosed, mistreated, 
right? So they were already they already had drug in their system, and then next you know like we couldn't do anything for them for like three weeks or four weeks, and because we had to let that drug deplete out of their system. That's then tough. they would come in and they would have to get all new imaging, all new scanning done. So I always advise people, and if anyone's listening to this, God forbid you have a health situation, cancer or not, like try to find the best and just figure out a way to get there because you know, that's your best chance. And you really got one shot at this thing because if not, you're waiting, especially on the cancer front, what I've seen, you're waiting two, three, four weeks to get an appointment and then you're waiting on top of the, for the drug to get out of your system. For them to then, you know what I mean? It totally derails the entire process. Um, so that's kind of something that I've seen for so long. And some folks just don't have the means. I mean, that's the other trap the problem is. And that's why Headstrong exists, to try to help people get accessibility. and afford- It basically addresses accessibility and affordability. So w- what kinds of things do you guys do? Cause you, and if I understand this correctly, you guys have raised over $20 million? $20 million, yep. Wow. Started from... Um, uh, my brother Nick was getting a procedure done. He was getting his port put in and getting wheeled in a, in a, in a, in a uh, bed to, a, to the procedure and asked my mom for a pen and paper. He drew our first logo, came up with our mission, short-term, long-term goals. So like, he's the one who came up with it? Headstrong. Yeah, it's his nickname. His nickname was Head as a kid because he had a big head. And he was just he, – he had – at that time, he was pulling a lot of inspiration from Lance Armstrong, who had lived strong at the time. And so he's like headstrong. I'm gonna call it headstrong. I'm gonna impact. I wanna I wanna teach athletes about you know giving back, and I wanna rally my lacrosse brothers and sisters to help me do this. And we're gonna be a voice for the patients, and we're gonna provide uh, direct services to patients. So what the organization does is it improves lives affected by cancer, and we do that through financial, residential, and emotional services. Uh, that's kind of like how we operate, and those services are all different um, as far as the programming within those services. So financial, I assume that would mean basically giving people grants Correct. to pay for yep. any cancer-related costs. Okay. Yep. Residential, what do you mean by that? Residential. So we have a facility uh, in Delaware County in, in uh, right next to Swarthmore College. It's hmm. an 8,000-square-foot home. It's called Nick's House. And it is similar, like, to the general public, you would think it's similar to, like, a Ronald McDonald house, right? Mm. But different. Uh, And how we're different is it's long-term stay. So the average person stays with us for six to eight weeks. Uh, There's no charge. It's free of charge. Has all the accommodations that a house has. How many people can stay at a time? Eight families. Wow. Yep. So families defined by a caregiver and the patient. Okay. Um, and we have laundry, we have Wi-Fi, we have television, we we have services there for the for the patients. Uh, as far as yoga goes and different therapies, art therapy, we have dogs come and visit. Um, that that is all ages, all cancers. Uh, people come in from all over the world to stay there. How do you um, select people for this? The uh, social workers submit applications, and then we have a process with background checks and all different types of things, but the house is a revolving door. Um, you know, we, we have to turn people away all the time. There's just not enough space in the house. But um, the house is really cool. I mean, the Ramadan house is different. It's like a three- to four-day stay. The patient can't stay there. There's a fee to stay there. And that's really just to kind of give people— Wait, the patient can't stay there? At Ramadan house, the patients don't stay there. They're in the hospital being treated. Oh, okay. Where okay. ours is the, and that's, that's the thing too with us, are the caregivers can just be their house, but a lot of times 
the patients uh, are staying with the caregiver at the house. Um, so it's, it's a really cool concept that we're going to be expanding to like New York, Boston, and Baltimore. Uh, it's kind of like the vision of our Nick's House uh, project. And then we have a program. We have um, we, we focus a lot on mental health. So mm -hmm. we do a lot of stuff. We do stuff virtually. Um, we do stuff in the hospitals. So at Penn and Chop, we'll go in. We have guest speakers. We we sponsor like motivational speakers to go in. Joe Conklin goes in and does a media does a does a skit. Funniest, fun, most underrated voice guy he's, ever. Right, he's uh, hilarious. Vince Papali goes in and shares his story. Great guy. Great guy. So we have people like that. Um, some stuff is streamed through Zoom. Some stuff is in person. For the last, we also within our within that category, we have a program called Head Table. Head Table offers um, food. Basically, it's a it's a it's a program that we have in in partnership with Rostelli's, and we offer um, on Thanksgiving, um, usually like December 15, 16, 16th, We usually uh, we feed basically the entire Rhodes Pavilion at Penn. Wow! So we feed about five hundred people, patients, families, all. You staff. guys do a lot. It's insane. There's dude. a lot of different things. It's here. insane. Yeah, it's like uh, you're you're constantly juggling a lot. Um, and we do it on the backs of like 12 full-time employees. We, we, we have a, but, but at the same time, we have a lot of volunteers. We, we mm. really count on, it's a, it takes a village to operate. Absolutely. And, um, it, and that's the cool thing that like, I love about Headstrong is the fulfillment that you get when you're able to help somebody. Like that's my whole thing is I'm a giver, not a receiver. And I just love helping people. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to like, it's not about one person at Headstrong. It's not about someone's ego. It's not about the CEO of the company. It's like it's one big family, and we all have and we all make an impact every day. So it's really cool, and uh, we're very involved in sports. So we use sports as our vehicle to tell our story and to basically activate and empower people mm -hmm. to share our story or get involved or fundraise. Then we channel the funds back to the to the mission. But your brothers started this like just drawing the logo that's that's a crazy story it's yeah. beautiful but he starts this while he's basically dying from Correct. cancer yeah and how how long was that before he actually died like how many months it was 14 oh months. so right at the beginning so he started in may of 2005 he kind of conceptualized the idea right away like and, almost uh, so he was diagnosed in september of 05 in may of 06 right okay the following spring lacrosse season he had the idea and then in October, and he passed on November twenty eighth. The last thing he said, he was he passed away in my arms, at my at our house. My dad and I were holding him. Last one of the last things he asked us was like, guys, like I want you to really do headstrong. So like my family, it was so weird. Like so it wasn't. It was it was just an it was still an idea, idea. then that he had, but mm -hmm. it hadn't like started. Yep. Yep. Wow. And then um, the lacrosse club started first with a tryout. And the two guys that were helping him out with that, Mike Holloway and Chris Bryan, full court press made that happen. And so the lacrosse club in Philly kicked off. Then, like a few months later, we incorporated my mom and I incorporated Headstrong, and um, as a nonprofit, and got our five hundred one c three about a year later because it takes a while. But I was like pushing t shirts out of my college dorm, selling lime green t shirts at fifteen a pop. And then my coach was called my mom and I one day. He's like, why don't we do a Nick Collier Classic Lacrosse Tournament? So we hosted four teams at our local high school in Ridley. 
that grew to 18 teams, grew to a two-day tournament, and then now those cl- those those tournaments operate on college campuses, and the facilities operate them, and all the teams involved still fundraise. It's just insane. I mean, you're talking like hundreds of events a year, wow. uh, major like big major online fundraising like crowdfunding goes on. Like we have a cool campaign coming up called Lax Dash Madness. Like you're talking thousands of college lacrosse players grow their mustaches out. And last year, it's awesome. In one month, they raised five hundred thousand. Wow, insane! All all proceeds to the Headstrong. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My brother Pat serves in a development capacity. He's on our fundraising. He kind of spearheads our fundraising team with Jeff Baxter. So it's a, it's a full family affair, it sounds like. So my mom and I are at the top. We manage it. And then mm-hmm. underneath of us, Pat's uh, on our development side. He, he does a lot of the fundraising uh, with when we have a team of, sure. of people with him. And then we have an administrative and operational team. So, you know, my mom kind of handles finance and uh, donors, and I kind of ha- juggle the rest. But it's a good partnership because my mom's very conservative and I'm very entrepreneurial. So it's like it's a good it's a good partnership yeah. that we have. Yin and a yang. Yeah, and about four years ago, we, we had a really cool exercise that we did. We kind of figured out what we do best, and we all kind of got in our the right position and the right roles. And so it's been it's been great, and we've been growing every single year. It's been insane. Well, so. <laughs> you were starting with just T-shirts, but did you – not to say you concepted everything you have now. I, no. I, I know that's not what it is, but was there was there any thought early on like, okay, by – if that's like 2006 or something, 2007. Okay, yep. by 2010, we're going to be doing these two things. Or did it just kind of... It just kept growing. And about five years in, our board at that time, we were having board meetings at our local high school. Like, we didn't even have an office or anything. But My mom and I turned a bedroom into an office. And we were we were working full-time jobs. And I was obviously working when I, as a college student doing this. And... Um, about five years in, it was all volunteer up until about five years. I was the first full-time employee. The board was like, I think we got something here. Like, it was family and friends. <laughs> like, this thing keeps growing. Like, what's going on here? So we were just selling merch and had, a, had like, one or two events. Uh, one was, like, beef and beer, and one was a small lacrosse tournament. Our first year, we did 67000 Um, And, and um, then I joined full-time. Then my brother Pat joined full-time. Then my mom joined full-time. And then we even slowly built them from there. But like up until about like maybe six years ago, we didn't even have a business plan. We were just rolling. Just, it just kept growing. Just growing. Like so many organizate like groups and people wanted to get involved. So like when did the house come in and Nick's house and stuff so like that? About two thousand and I think it was eleven or twelve. My dad was like we were sitting around dinner and my dad was like, Remember that fat my dad basically was Going to the park. My dad's whole thing was my dad loves to cook and he's a great cook. Doesn't follow any recipes, but like the dude can go in your refrigerator right now, grab stuff, make something, and you'd be like, wow. Like, how did you, you need do people that? like that? You, you'd be like, how'd you do that? And he'd be like, I can't tell you, is what he says. <laughs> right? But the old school Italian guy, my dad's whole thing was like, Nick, you're never going to eat hospital food. I will go home from work every day. I will cook you a home cooked meal and you will eat my food. Like, that was my dad's commitment to Nick to keep... That was, like, his way to just help Nick, right? And Nick loved his food, and I, I do, too. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I were actually talking about this the other day, how, like, he just whipped things up. Uh, but, so he... my And my dad's, like, the mayor. Everyone loves him, and he talks to anybody. I talk 
just complete strangers and uh, loves people. And so he got friendly with another dad whose kid was going through a situation of cancer at the hospital and they were inpatient for a while. My dad was going to the parking garage. Dude was like having a complete meltdown, right? Crying hysterically. My dad recognized him was just like, oh, what's going on? Guy's like, well, he's like, I don't have any money to pay for the parking. We're living out of my car. And he had kids with him yeah. living out of the car. So my dad was like, whoa, time out. What do you mean? So these people came back to my house and stayed at my house. And my dad paid this his- This is while Nick's getting treatment. Yeah. Wow. yeah, my dad paid for his parking bill. And uh, so fast forward now to like 2011, I think. I think it's 2011. My dad was like, remember that guy that we met, that family we met that, that we helped out? If we can just get like one a one bedroom apartment in the city, like that would be so sick because we'd be able to help people and give them the ability to stay. So my mom and I went like just like the way we are, went around the whole city, couldn't find any places. Everyone was like, oh, it's transient. The con we had a guy who was a who was a supporter of ours, uh, owned a lot of real estate in the city. He was willing to give us an entire floor of one of his places. It was like. I think twenty something rooms, but the condo association turned it down. He was gonna, oh, he was on. gonna, he was gonna rent it to us for one dollar a year, and we, and because he's a survivor of cancer, and wow. um, so we went through this whole process, and we ended up getting shot down from the condo association in Philly. So we just kept at it, we kept at it. So, what my, was that like? Hold on, let's sideboard here real fast. <laughs> so you have a guy who's a cancer survivor, and he's very very wealthy individual who wants to donate twenty rooms to people battling for their lives. Yes. And a condo association turned that down. Turned it down. They said it was transient and against their bylaws. Yep. Now let me back up for one <laughs> second here. All right, I'm, I'm going to put I'm going to put on my money hat for a second, and let's just say that hypothetically, if people were coming, and this is not how I would look at it. I'm just yeah. playing it hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people were coming in to look to buy one of the condos or something. And they find out that like an entire floor, even though that's very nice, there's cancer patients. An entire floor is filled with people who are out late at night sometimes, you know, stuff going on all the time because they're fighting for their lives literally. And they're like, this is really nice, but we don't want to live here. Maybe the condo is saying that. What I would challenge that with though is that there would – like from a human being standpoint and from a goodwill standpoint, yep. you can't tell me that there wouldn't be a market of people going, holy shit, this place is doing that for people. I want to live here. Yep. I know. It's fucked up, man. It's crazy. And I, I got some crazy stories for you, man. We were – Livestrong tried to shut us down. We had a lawsuit with Livestrong for Ooh, a long time. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that let's was, talk about that. That was insane. And my mom and I were like, nope. We're, they wanted us to change our name. They wanted us to take the word strong. So they had a legal group of like nine million. They that they, that they they spent like nine million a year on this on these le on these lawyers. They would literally like govern the word strong. They thought that they owned the word strong, and other organizations actually changed their name. They took the word strong out of their name. And my mom and I were like, we're not changing the name. And they're still, by the way, they're still technically around. They are. But yeah. let me ask about that. Like, how do you know I don't how really much they know, decreased? I don't really know much, you know, about the organization has done great things. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. take the, you know, the bad stuff out of what Lance did. I mean, he still has impacted and helped a lot of people. You know what I mean? So there is always, I always try to look at the good in sure. situations. That's just who I am. Very positive person. So like. And also, too, like, my brother Nick was one of those people, like, that Nick wore the bracelet, you know, and, and so did I for the longest time. 
Did that? Um, did I, I just got to ask about this though? Because you said that earlier, and I, I didn't want to stop you because you were going into a few other things. So I'm glad we came back to it. But you know, I guess the whole Lance thing happened in like 2012 or 2013, where he admitted everything. Yeah. You know, y- your brother was one of the many who took such inspiration from that and yep. didn't make it, or then people who took inspiration from it and made it. Yep. So you are directly a witness to that, and that obviously impacted you as well. So like when you see something like that, because fair or unfair, he was the face of the organization. Yep. Like that, Lance Armstrong is Livestrong. I mean, does that just crush you? Because the guy, the guy was, let's call it what it was. He was, even if they all were in cycling, yep. I'll give him that. Yeah. Still a fraud. Yeah. I mean, it still happens today, though, in pro sports oh, yeah. all the time, you know? And I think that, um, do I, do, I'm all about the right thing. Do I agree with everything that he's done? No. But I think that, you know, it's not easy to, in a, in a philanthropic world, nonprofit, to start a nonprofit and to be successful yeah. is like, you're you're fighting an uphill battle every single day, you know, um, and I think if you can find success, there's a, there's there's something to be said about what he was able to do with the organization. He was able to use this like my brother Nick was all about like use your platform for good mm. for good, and we preach this a lot at Headstrong. My employees talk about it a lot. Like use your platform if you're an athlete or whatever you're involved with, and whatever it doesn't necessarily have to be Headstrong, but but use that as a voice, be a voice. Use it as a platform to, for good. So, like, I thought he was able, he was successful in using his platform in in the position that he was in to Clearly. be a voice for folks that were battling for their lives. And I think there's a, there's something to be said about that, you know. Whereas the media always takes the negative side because they know that's what sells, and you see it now with COVID. It's just insane. So, like, you know, to me, I don't necessarily agree with what he did, but that was his decisions. But I definitely think that he was able to positively impact a lot of people's lives. And that organization, believe it or not, even though he's been missed, he's been dismissed from it for a while, is still working to help people, you know? And that- Do they do, like, do they raise a lot of money? I don't really know. I know they went through a change of different directors. The one director that, uh, executive director that took over, left, who I thought was going to, like, you know, take the ball by the court and take it to the next level. He left and went to another organization that's involved with cycling. Um, But- I don't really know. I, for me, it's like I'm very big on just kind of staying focused on kind of what I'm involved with, and I don't really get involved, you know, with the outside noise. So um, you, you didn't. You also didn't take it too too personally when they were suing you for years. Nah, nope, nope. Good I mean, and, and fortunately, um, you know, I, I I constantly preach to stay focused on what we're doing because I know what we're doing is right. And, and, and eventually, um, we were very fortunate enough to have great attorneys that supported us through the whole entire thing. And eventually, they went away. Uh, they believe just it left. Or not. They pulled off the suit. Yep. I'm pulled trying off, to pull up their financials behind you, by the, the way, suit, while you're talking. And, but other organizations were calling us, like, saying, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And we're like, nothing. We're, we're going to continue to operate the way that we are. There's, no, there's not a conflict of interest. They don't own the word strong. That's and crazy. we're going to continue to do what we're doing. We're fulfilling our promise to our founder, which is my mom would say her son, I would say my brother, and we're we're just you know we're relentless in our efforts, and we're going to just stay focused there. Um, but no, it's definitely been there's been a lot over the last fifteen years. There's been a lot of different interesting things that have come across my desk that um, would discourage people. But when you're when you do the right thing, it's you just keep putting pushing forward. Like what what kind of things? Well, uh, recently we had a situation with um, our Nick's House initiative. 
right? So going back to Nick's house, right? So this is something I wanted to tell you, which is insane. This is how much my parents believe in Headstrong. So we couldn't find a place that would like let us do the Nick's house in the city, right? Oh, okay. Because of the transient, right? Yeah. My mom and dad were dry. Just t- they were. My parents had a very difficult time with my brother Nick passing. It took them like five, six years to f- recover financially, and it still weighs on them. Like you it know, with him not, be- it never goes away. I don't think people like when 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 I talk with people who who buried a, a kid. Like I don't want to say the wrong word here, but I feel completely unqualified to do it because a I've never been a dad, so yep. I can't understand that, and yep. b like that's just something no one should ever have to do yeah and i think everyone has their own timeline and space to deal with it and fuck if i'm going to tell them how to do it because it's i don't even know how you go on yeah being a parent of young kids i could never my biggest fear i could never imagine being in my parent walking in my parents shoes every day and i give my my folks especially my mom like a lot of credit for the last 15 years of being involved with headstrong like sharing your son's story every day about him passing and like just facing that fear, like walking into that every day, waking up and walking into that every day, it speaks volumes to who she is as a person. But so my parents were just like out on a drive, like just because they used to just like go on their motorcycle or just go out in a car just to get out of the house. Because my brother Nick passed away in our house, right? So when we, when my parents lived in Pennsylvania, so like every single day they would come home from work or they would leave and they were like, they would look at that couch where like he passed away in. And just con- couldn't, I felt like they were drowning in the house. But on a positive side, they were driving around the area, like the like our community. And my mom was like, you know, like I used to work in a building over here when I when I just got out of high school. And so they drove down the street and the, the property was like dilapidated but for sale, right? Good my mom and dad looked at each other like, I wonder if we can do the Nick's house there. And where where is it? It's in Delco. Where so next this, to Susquehanna College? That was Swarthmore College. Swarthmore. That's the new one. But I'm talking about the original one, oh, the which original. is my office now. So my parents, without like, <laughs> without like my brothers and I knowing, decide that they're going to refinance their home that they owned. Right? They refinanced their house and they bought this place. Wow. Right. So. They call a meeting with my brothers and I over dinner at their house, and they say, "Listen, we want to share with you, um, you know, what we're doing, whether you like it or not." Kind of a thing. My one brother was like, "You guys are crazy! Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, you guys are just coming out of like, you know, a financial hardship, and you're refinancing your house. What if this doesn't work? That they're like, it's going to work." My brother Pat left. He was like fuming, like couldn't believe that they did this. My brother Dan's like, whatever, like if that's what you want to do and that's going to make you happy, like do it. And I was like, let's go. So they bought this building. The foundation slowly paid the, them back. You know what I mean? The loan that they took out. I hope so. And yeah. and now that place actually operates as our office. But we did a, what we did was we operated the first level. It was a commercial on the first level, residential on the second level. So what we did was... Wait, wait, what? So it was a two-level building. Okay. So one level was commercial, one level was residential. So one you kept so as offices, one you're saying? One kept as offices, the other it. one we did as a test pilot to Nick's house to see if it was really Got it. worth exploring. So we operated like just one family at a time. We had families come. Our first patient was from Boulder, Colorado. She had 
stage four ovarian cancer. She didn't make it, but they were just great people and very thankful and appreciative of the opportunity. Cause it's only like, it's a 10 minute train ride, 15 minute drive in to the hospital. Yeah. So we, we kept for about like three or four years, we kept doing the, like doing the Nick's house thing there. And then at, over that time, we started getting like incredible CEOs of companies on our board and the friends and family started cycling out and the board started to like to develop into like people that were movers and shakers and had capacity things. And it still is right. So we had this strategic session at one of our board members meetings, uh, uh, offices, stream companies is the company. It's a big major digital firm. And we had this strategy session. Everyone's like, the Nick's house is like where you guys need to go. You need to expand on the Nick's house. Like everybody just kept, we had sticky. This is crazy. Everybody got uh, posted and we wrote down all the services that we do. And like, you had a, like everyone had to go up and like put, like prioritize what they thought was the most impactful, where we could really, what the vision of the organization was. And everybody kept Nick's house, Nick's house, Nick's house, Nick's house. So I, um, we had this, we, we, from the recap from that meeting was we're going to expand Nick's house. What did that look like? We didn't know. So we meet with our chair at that time. He still is our chair now. It's this guy who's owns a very, uh, a big comp, like a major company that is involved with the pharmaceutical company. So what, his, co what company? It's called Valsource. Um, so Valsource basically is a company that, kind of governs and uh, from a compliance standpoint, pharmaceutical factories around the world. Mm. And David has just been an incredible mentor and advisor to my mom and I and the organ and he's been very generous to the organization. His son is a survivor of brain cancer. And I think his son's name was, what's crazy is son's name's Nick. His son's favorite number is 27, which was my brother Nick's number. And he's a survivor. <laughs> And wow. um, so, and did you know any of that before? No, I didn't think so. So, one of our employees' awesome. brother is was like one of his main guys, like one of the presidents of his company, and brought him to our gala. And I kind of moving all over the place here, but no, no, this is good. This so is really it was good. interesting around, but around this time, which is crazy, is we had this gala every year. We actually have it coming up for the eleventh year. But David, not knowing knowing us, came to that event because of one of our employees' brother worked for him, and he came. So. Next, I'll never forget it. It was my mom and I in the office. It was just the three of us at the time, me, Pat, and my mom. And we got this knock on the door at our office. And this guy's there at the front door. And he's in like a t-shirt, shorts, and like flip-flops. So I was like thinking like, is he somebody that lives <laughs> on the street or something? Like knocking on to see what's up? Like what's going on here? And he's like, hi, my name's David, so-and-so. Uh, can I come in? I was at your gala. So this guy sits down, and he's just just crying, and I'm like, I'm looking at my mom. My mom starts crying, and he's like, I can't stop thinking of you guys. Like I've been, I I can't stop crying. So he starts to tell us his story. He's like, I'm all in. I want to be your chair. I want to fund you. I want to take this thing to the next level. So like around that time that we had that, like literally weeks later, we had the strategy session to expand Nick's house. And David's right there behind us, pushing us, right? Wow. So, and this is me, what, like 2011, 2012? 12, I think. So me, my mom, and David are going around to all these buildings, looking at places again, <laughs> and um, can't really find anything. I'm driving through Swarthmore, 
because where we live, there's not much over here. And with my wife, she was, yeah, she was my wife at the time. We're, we're taking back roads because the blue route was all backed up with traffic. And we're driving through Swarthmore. And my wife was like, you ever see these places over here? There's like, they're monster homes. And she's like, she's like, people aren't really having families that big anymore because it's so expensive. Mm. These, these yeah. homes are like seven bedrooms, huge. six bedrooms. And they're like, there was a bunch of these places for sale. So I call my mom. My mom, we should call up our real, realtor and like maybe go visit some of these homes over in Swarthmore. It's like a really nice community-based, you know, town, things like that. So my mom and I went to like with Dave with David, our chair, went to like three of them. And we walked into one and we looked at each other like, this is it. We're gonna we're gonna buy this place. Like we just immediately knew as soon as we walked in the kitchen. So we dropped a $1.5 million capital campaign, fully renovated, and we've been up and running for three years. And the house is just turnkey. I mean, it's just amazing to see families from all over, all 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 demographics, all all geographic territories. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, we save on average like easy a six week stay. We save a family of like easily just with the stay ten thousand dollars out of pocket expenses that easily, they would have yeah. they would have at a hotel. So we're giving people the chance to fight. We're giving them access to Penn, to Chop, to the hospitals here. So it's been a privilege and an honor. It's been great, you know, and uh, the house has been a blessing, and we're going to replicate this in other like in other areas where there's major hospitals. So, which is cool. I see stories all the time in different things for different reasons. Could be a disease research, could be you know raising money for something in someone's memory and things like that. And I'll see, you know, the next of kin or the the parents or the brother or sister, and they're running it and. You'll see that they've been doing it for a decade or two decades, in your case, like 15 years. Yeah. And it always strikes me that, like, number one, obviously, I can't imagine. But you're you're also in this spot where, and you kind of touched on it a minute ago, you're in this spot where that memory is constantly around you because you are – you're raising money for the personal thing that directly affected you and yep. someone you love who's yep. no longer there. Yep. And so – I think two things can kind of happen there, and one of them probably is pointed out by the chairman of your board a little bit. He, it seems like even though his son survived, he relived a lot of that and relived the idea that, like, oh, my God, it could have gone this way, too. Yep. I understand, like, how crazy and shattering that must be for them. But then you're also on the ground with these families. They're, they're living in a house that you're at all the time. You yep. know, they stay there for six, eight, ten weeks, whatever it is, during the most trying period of their lives. And I know that it's eight at a time yep. and they're coming in and out. Yep. But the personal relationship, I would imagine, maybe not with all of them, but with many of them that you have over the years, people that end up surviving or people that end up dying, it's almost like that is an extended family that comes out of the memory of your brother. And... The beautiful nature of that is incredible, but I also can't help but think, like you and your parents and everything, you got to relive it a lot. You know, you're you're constant. I, I don't know if you just get a little bit used to it, which I don't even think that's nice to say. I don't think you get used to something, but like it, it's on your mind at all times. You know, it's there's no escaping it. I mean, for me, when my I was so close to Nick that when he passed. I had to like I couldn't run from it, right? Cuz if I did, I probably wouldn't be here. Right? So like for me, I literally ran into it. 
and and I'm not gonna say it was easy. Um, thanks to like I got professional help and you know Hofstra, my university was very supportive and family and friends and things like that. I definitely think the organization has helped me uh, from a grading standpoint. For me, although Nick's always at the forefront of everything we do, I'm very business minded and oriented when it comes to Headstrong. So I run Headstrong like a for-profit and I run it like a business and I don't really let emotions in. Now I can't speak for my brother and my mom because they literally, they live off of the emotion. So they're, how they navigate things is completely different than how I navigate things. Mm. Um, at Headstrong, I don't really talk about Nick um, a lot. You know what I mean? Because I'm there. I'm the behind-the-scenes guy, strategy, and I'm, the te- I'm behind the scenes of everything. Cheryl and my, my brother Pat, they'll, be, they'll talk your ear off, and they're out in front. They're, they're the voice. I'm... Never been, uh, believe it or not, last thing my brother Nick said to me, because I used to be a super quiet kid, and uh, he said, like, you got to find your voice. You don't find your voice, you're not going to amount to anything. So I've been talking more, you know what I mean? Like, even doing this podcast was a big thing for me, because I'm not really um, somebody, I got to talk my ear off about my kids and things like that, but I don't usually talk about myself or, like, my personal stuff. Um but like if I were if I if I'm with a patient one on one I will, but like to my team I don't really talk about Nick, and although he's a part of it, of the discussion, I think I do a very good job at balancing that. Clearly, yeah, I don't really have, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the testament of like how I was able to, um, and I can't speak for everybody, but like for me, like I like I said earlier, like I ran like when he passed, I ran into it, I didn't run from it. Uh, my one brother ran away from it, turned to alcohol, and had like a very uh, interesting uh, few years there where uh, we weren't sure like how that was going to go. Thankfully, he met an incredible wo- uh, woman who has changed his life and the trajectory of that. And they, mm. he's got a solid career, and, and she's awesome, and they have beautiful children together. But like my brother Dan was putting away like a bottle of Jack Daniels a day, driving. You know, just living a lifestyle that was very dangerous. Uh, But that was like, unfortunately, like that was just the way that he was able to cope. Because the thing is, is like when someone like that, my family was very close. Now, it's it's a different dynamic now. We're still like mutually connected, but it's different. But uh, like we were very hands-on and very, very tight before Nick passed. But like when someone passes that's so close to you, it's not like they hand you... It's like anything in life that you face, it's hard. It's like they hand you a book and they're like, okay, like today's Monday, this is what you do. And today's Wednesday and this is what you do. It's like, you have to figure it out, you know? Um, And I've been very fortunate in a sense where I've been able to uh, stay composed and just think through things and and have the confidence in myself to like ask for help and get the help. Um, I'm very like very plan oriented I, I i always preach like we're um plan your work and work your plan like you know mm-hmm. what i mean and stick by that stuff and set your goals and things like that and, and and like i said i definitely think the success of the organization has helped you know keep nick's legacy alive and when i go and meet with a patient like the the feeling that i get i can't really explain you know when i go to nick's house and i have patients just like looking at me and talking to me about nick like that's like 
it's not a job. You know what I mean? This is just an incredible thing that we're able to do to impact lives. And and Nick is always at the forefront of it. You know what I mean? I he's the reason why we're there. You know what I mean? Right. And people that are that are um, connected to it know. They, they do their research. They know people come up to me and talk to me like my brother Nick's a god, you know, just really, really cool. And and um, it's just been a great way to kind of live. Um, it's changed my thought process a lot. You know, I think I wish more kids and parents were actively working with their kids to understand what life's really about. You know what I mean? I feel like social media has damaged, um, I think, people's outlook and this younger generation is definitely, uh, yeah. definitely interesting. But I mean, uh, teaching your kids about giving back and about more. There's more to life than money and 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 materialistic things. You know what I mean? Uh, it's about helping others, and that's my whole thing. Is got to give to receive, and um, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and I think a lot of people, like I don't think you'd pull anyone off the street and say. Do you agree we should we should give money to help out cancer patients? And you're going to get people to say no. Like like there's generally even people who are kind of assholes. Like there's a common sense level with most things. You know what I mean? Yep. But there's also a disconnect that happens, and it's not just with cancer. It's it's with a lot of different things that people go through, where when it's not at your doorstep, you don't consider what it is you know yep. and and the one of the beauties of social media and i agree with you there's a lot of there are a lot of things that are unfortunate about what what it does to us as a society but one of the beauties of it is you do get a chance to see some of this stuff from other people you get to see struggles whether it be a cancer patient who's sharing yep. their story You're right. or someone who is someone who's had a lifelong disease that's just debilitating or whatever and i appreciate that stuff i almost like it, it, it's hard to watch it sometimes, but I make myself because it, it is a good reminder that like when you are having issues with things and everyone does and you should recognize that when it happens, like you can't just constantly say like you, you have no issues, you have no reason you could sit back and say like, all right, I need to take a moment for myself, but it's usually not the end of the world. You know, and you see what people are, are dealing with life and death or the prospect of being young and having to look down the barrel of you have X months to live or, or whatever. And then, you know, for me, it, it, it really resets things. And so you hitting on the give more. And I like that you put that on, on the cup as well. We got to we gotta get that in shot. <laughs> Probably can't read it. But. Yeah, but it, you can barely read mine. But give more and then you'll receive more. It, it's like a lot of people think that they're that they're giving oriented but in reality they're they're very passive about it you they're know not. and and like i i try to i do try to look at myself with that as well like i i'm one of those guys that like if if i haven't given to like this charity or whatever that i usually do i'll panic and write the check even if yeah. i don't think about it at the time and i should be putting in the time to think about well what are they doing right now yeah there's like a part of me that's like no no no, like do it and yep. i don't have much money at all but like yep. in the future that's something that I'd want to be passionate about. And so I think for you, like running it, of course you're tied to it, but you, to your point, you're running it like a business too. And you're showing people like, Hey, I'm making this my life as well. Like it's yep. not just the emotional thing all the time. This is like, we can really make an impact here. So we're going to make it in a smart way. We're yep. going to raise the most money and do the most help for the most people we can. Yeah. I think too, um, people need to realize that you don't even have to contribute financially. 
You know what I mean? Like I constantly preach to my kids and they're young, but like just about like if you could have that as as part of your, you know, your daily routine or or, or who you are as a person of, of just being nice. Like we need more people just to be nice to each other. Mm. Just in general. Like I always say hi to everybody. I treat everyone the same exact way. I hold the door for people. Like just being, especially in the times that we live in right now, you know, it's like. My parents always say, like, when they grew up, their their door front door was wide open. It was never locked. Like, now it's like everyone's closed doors are locked. It's insane. It's a, it's a different world. But volunteering your time, you know, um, when, I, when I first graduated college, I went and worked in an orphanage down in El Salvador. And, I, and it was just, I thought what I had gone through with Nick's situation was, like, life-changing. That was just insane. Like, I had kids running up to me every day, poppy, poppy, like thinking I was their father. And that was just, that was something that I will, that has changed my life forever is, is, is seeing connected with that. Uh, one of my, one of my former teammates' mom was from there Mm. and her, and actually his grandmom was one of the people that ran the orphanage. So we went down for two weeks and, uh, yeah, it was, an incredible experience um, that I had, and I was able to impact these kids' lives. I was play, playing with them all day, ball, basketball, hopscotch. Like they don't have much, you know. I, I brought toys with me to gifts to that give to them, um, and that was that was life changing. Um, so it's like, and and those are things that like I feel like back to your point. It's we, you can go study all you want. You know, you you could be as smart as you want, but in, experiences are what I feel like mold us. Yes. And my experience, like I just happened to be 18 years old and lost my brother. You know, and that experience wasn't necessarily in the plan, but it happened, and I've I've grown from it. You know what I mean? I look at everything uh, from a from a from an educational from a growth standpoint. You know what I mean? Everything that I do, I try to learn. I try to grow. Like even doing this podcast, I've never done a podcast before, but I'll learn from this experience. I don't think this is going to be your last. I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> but like you know, what's interesting is like I constantly try to preach to people. Like the last 15 years, and we talked about this a little bit. It's like running a nonprofit from the ground up, starting a nonprofit from the ground up, and being successful and sustaining for as long as we've did. I've learned more than I will ever learn if I went to like. Sure. Uh, the Wharton School of Business. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, not to knock that, and I would love maybe one day to even go there for school if I could ever get in. Yeah, but you like, can say both at the same time. You know time. what I mean? I know what you mean. But, yeah. like, you're forced to to operate on a, a, a thin margin. You know what I mean? You're wearing multiple hats. Like, I was the volunteer director, the graphic designer, the marketing director, the vice president, the finance. Like, and I still am responsible. My, my, life, my job has gotten easier in some ways where I've, We've sustained for so long, and the work that we do, we make our staff and our volunteers a part of the services. So, like, for example, two weeks ago, we have a mom and a husband staying with us at Nick's house. They're from the New York City, and they've been there for, um, I would say, at least six months, and they their treatment keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. Wait, they've been there for six months? Yeah, they stay – Nick's house is long-term lodging. Right? I thought it was up to like 10 weeks. You have six, people? six to 10 weeks is like the minimum stay, but we have people stay for six months on end, right? So like more things have got, and they have a one-year-old daughter, right? So, and it's small things, but like the mom, I could never imagine being in the mom's shoes. And so the other day, like when- Who has the cancer? The daughter. The She's daughter has the cancer? Yeah. Oh. Renal, like in the uh, kidney area. Dad is the man. But like- <laughs> 
the biggest thing that we try to do is we try to we try to involve people in our work so that way they can see what we do. Because as soon as you see what we do, it's like I got yeah. I got to get involved. So like for a small little example, uh, bought like a two hundred fifty dollar gift card to a, to like a really nice um, salon like to, for her for this mom to go get a massage. But I gave it to my marketing director to and I gave her a card. I said fill this out, give this card. So I empower my teammate, which is my employee, to go facilitate the mission, right? When we host events, every event that we do, we started it like seven years ago. We give out financial assistance. We have a family come to the actual event, and we give a check presentation at the event. So everybody that's involved with that event sees exactly what the work did. Okay, the last two months, I just did all this fundraising, or I just trained to run this marathon, and the money goes to that person. You know, connect the dots and it's inclusion. It's one of our corporate initiatives is like the more people we include in the mission and the work that we do, the more successful we'll be. Now, this is actually a really important point that I'm curious to know how much you know. I mean, I'm sure you do based on the homework you do, but like outside of your organization within nonprofits, because I don't think this gets talked about enough, even with some of the biggest ones. But then let's use smaller examples that are still sizable, like personal foundations and stuff like that. Yeah. One of the untalked about problems is that the money is not necessarily going to what you think it's going to yeah and by the way it's not just always the people who run the foundation at fault though they should be overlooking it better but let's say like a really wealthy person is running a foundation for x cause that they're passionate about and then they still run a company themselves so they employ a team of people to do whatever and they don't always know exactly where the money's siphoned to but what we've seen is that a lot of times people will donate money and it doesn't fund shit. And you, you will have organizations that may raise a million, five million dollars and claim to help X, Y, and Z, but really they paid for a golf outing once and that's it. Yeah. So running your organization, I like that you brought up that you literally try to bring in also the people who are being helped by it yep. to become a part of it to see exactly where everything goes and how it funds. Yep. But like how many times have you run into nonprofits, even sizable ones that you went to partner with or, you know, talk with, whatever it is, where it's like, wait a second, I, I don't they may be raising X amount of money, but I, I don't know where this might not be going anywhere. So I used to like get so involved with that stuff. Like going maybe like our first years, I was heavily involved with like researching other organizations and what they were doing and how much they were raising and and I even saw when I worked at Penn, like we would have major gifts come in, even to the department that I was in. And like it takes people, you know what I mean? You have to have yeah. bodies in order to accomplish a mission, yes. right? But there's also right and wrong ways of going about that. And definitely, I like if you can even look it up, like I don't know recently, but I know that some of the worst nonprofit organizations were actually like two or three of the worst nonprofits in this category that you're talking about. We're based out of Philadelphia. I can't reflect, uh, remember exactly which ones they were, but like literally the, I think it was like the the first and the second or third worst nonprofits in this topic were in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, I got it pulled up right behind you there from from the Inquirer up on the screen. Five regional charities are finding themselves on the defensive after being named in a report as among the worst of the nation. The report released last month by the Center for Investigative Reporting, the Tampa Bay Times and CNN found that the charities spend most of their money on telemarketing and administrative costs yep. instead of the children, cancer survivors, veterans, and police they receive tax-exempt status to help. Now, yeah. 
the, the, and this is I'm, I'm glad they have that detail right there yeah. because you even just said it yourself yeah you have to pay to run the charity you have to and right? I think there's a misconception out there that like it depends on how the organization is set up and how it operates and its bylaws and how it's regulated right but um, you know you have to pay you're only as strong as your team you know I think the one thing like there was a, a while back like the wounded warrior organization had some trouble like you know, I so their their CEO at the time was like very entrepreneurial, and he would take the employees like on these trips, like these retreats, to try to like build mm. team building, and and it might have been a little too much of a stretch where, and the, it actually cost him, I think, his job. And the board came in and restructured the whole executive yeah. team because people, you have to do it. You have to be very clear with exactly what you're doing with people's money, and and for us, it's like well come with us and we'll do it together like yes. that's kind of how we transparency transparency out the gates you know what i mean like whatever we're doing like in the hospital our volunteers our board members our donors go with us and serve the patients the meal like everything we do is direct service to the patient you can't hide it and the more you could show it the more support and supporters you're going to get just at large so for our standpoint like it's and I think that's the, the the unique thing is I this sounds weird, but I think we have an incredible advantage that our founder unfortunately is no longer with us. Because and the reason why I say that in the way that I do is because every people buy into Nick and who he is as a as a who he was as a mm. person. So it's not about me. It's not about my mom. It's not about my brother. Whoever else. It's not about them. It's all about Nick and what Nick stood for. He's always at the forefront of everything. So mm. it's not like, for like, for example, like Lance was alive and made some very poor decisions, and that has negatively impacted that, that yes. company significantly, whereas like we literally follow what Nick put out in front of us and how, and how to execute, you know? So it's very interesting in a lot of ways, but I think the more transparent you are in general with things and the more communication you have, the more you could show your impact. Like Charity Wooder does an incredible job. Like I used to be so obsessed. Wait, what's what, what was that? Charity, Charity Wooder? Wooder, they're based out of um, New York. They provide clean water to like okay. third world countries. They build wells. It's And their digital marketing is just off the charts. But like, you know, uh, St. St. Jude's spends millions of dollars, I think, on advertising, but they do they offer a free sure. hospital. How do you evaluate that? You know what I mean? So you have to spend money to make money yes. just in general. And the way it should be run, people that are in for-profit should operate as a non-profit, and people that are in non-profit should mm. operate as a for-profit. But the good. thing is, is like, uh, and I take that from Nick Bayer, who's CEO of Saxby's, who just did a team-building exercise with us. And I've always taught, preached that to people, like, I run Headstrong like a for-profit company. Like, yeah, we have guidelines. Like, and that's that's the thing too is like you as you sustain, you start to build people's trust, right? And you know, we're we have all these different. There's different organizations that audit that also give you seal of approvals, like GuideStar and all these different groups that give you these shields that you can put on your website that you can communicate to your donors to know that you're it's safe to donate to you. Uh, like once we yeah, reach, well, quick question. Shoot, how? And I'm not 
taking a shot at them, whoever they are, because I know it's difficult. But yeah. how reliable is that? And the only reason I ask that is because not necessarily in charities. I can't think of any examples I personally know. Yeah. But you look at other things like in nutrition and food. Yep. And these companies that so-called put a label that say, oh, this means they did that. And like it ends up that there's no way they could prove it. So, so like not, how reliable so it's, is that? it's very reliable. Okay. Nonprofit is governed like very, very tight. Um, I hope so. Especially when you reach like the million dollar mark in annual revenue, which has been, I would say, maybe over 10 years for us. But um, once we're audited, you know what I mean? Every single penny is audited and we it's outsiders that come in to audit. So there's and there's uh, nine, nine, there's financials that we had to report on. To, we have committees on our board that are responsible for like, and that's the one thing that's you. As long as you have systems in place, like, yes. like for example, we have systems in place at Headstrong where a lot of the decisions are made from the board members. Like we, Cheryl and I, my mom, like we have systems in place of X amount of dollars have to be approved that, that are spent have to be approved by board. My salary is approved by the board. Her salary is approved. So that Good. that regulation Good. and those yeah. systems in play allow for an even playing field where you can't have. Everyone, and that's the thing about running a tight organization like ours, you can't hide. <laughs> like, no. You will be exposed. Even my employees that work for the organization, I should say our employees that work for the organizations, you either sink or swim. You know what I mean? And you know that within the first month. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can't hide. Like it's, it's, We run a tight ship. And... Um, but at the same time, we have incredible impact, you know? You have to – that guy you mentioned, though, a few minutes ago, like the example, this just sticks out because you have to be smart about it. Yeah. Like the one who you were saying was paying for trips for team-building exercises. Warrior Project. Okay. Yeah. Like – Maybe he wasn't a bad guy. Maybe he is like a good guy and, I don't and think he had, he in, I don't he think had good intentions. But yep. like the common sense has to pop in your head going, All right, is this like a like a corporation building a you know, a trying to reward employees to go on vacation? Or is this a nonprofit where in order to do that we have to use other people's money that they don't think is going towards, you yep. know, a beach in fucking Florida? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and like I'm not saying like that makes them bad. I'm saying like you have to have more common sense. And if you really want to do that because it's important to you to build your team because they don't have enough motivation every day at the job for the fact that they're doing something really cool here, yep. then pay for it your goddamn self. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. You got to be smart about that. You're right. Absolutely. And on the side of drugs, though, because that's the other thing, because we started to touch this earlier and then didn't go to it where you were talking about like the – the lack of a cure for cancer yeah. and the fact that there's a lot of maintenance and things going on. Even a layer below that, because that's a wild concept to me. I've heard people say that kind of thing before, and I don't know enough to be able to get there. But I do know, as I said, like we've been doing chemo forever, and like that doesn't change a hell of a lot. So yep. that's certainly confusing. But when you're talking about innovation on anything, like whether it be like a nonprofit where you have to motivate, like you need talented people yep. to work at a place, right? Yep. And yet you're, you're probably not going to compete on crazy salaries with corporations and stuff because yep. the fact of the matter is the priority is towards a nonprofit. Mission, yep. Mission so focused. that already makes it hard because yep. it is a money world. But then look at like pharma companies and what they have to do because – you know, we talk about how fucked up insurance is and all that, and that's certainly true. That's yep. a whole different conversation. But with pharma companies, you'll see these stories about how much drugs cost and whatever, and yep. it sucks, and, and it's it's a problem. But a, a friend of mine 
was the head of global finance for oncology for one of the major drug companies. Yep. And I remember talking to him a few years ago because he was spearheading the CAR-T therapy research that they were doing. And at the time, I don't know if they still are, but at the time they were first in the world at it. And I, I said, you know, how wild is it that you're – because he's explaining the whole thing to me. I'm like, how wild is it that you're looking at something that has had like – it had like an 88% cure rate on people with, I believe, late stage 3 or like the earliest forms of stage 4 cancer. I'm like, how wild is it that like you have something that could be, could be the beginnings of a cure here? And he's like, dude, you have no idea. Like I go in every day and he's not the doctor. He's the guy. He's yep. – running the finance and running it but he's like the pressure on that is that we need to get this done and the issue is that i am constantly in a battle to find talent because through no fault of their own doctors he's like oncology doctors i mean you talked about your guy in philly who was meeting with 40 patients a day they give their lives to this thing most, most of them are phenomenal doctors who live and die with their patients not literally but you know what i mean yeah right and yet you know they, they're gonna they're going to get paid for that and they're going to get paid a lot of money. And that's, that is the system. Like you need doctors to have an incentive to become doctors and yep. become that great of a doctor. And he's like, I'm constantly battling against keeping my balance sheet over here and also getting, paying doctors enough the best to incentivize, to pull them away from situations like that. Yeah. So like, he's, he's like, you got everyone, this is the point you get, you got everyone coming in yelling about drug prices and all that and he's like i hear you i agree with you but he's like how the fuck are we supposed to build it without that it's yeah. like you're stuck absolutely no i, I agree with you. i know the doc one of the doctors that i worked with at penn actually took a sabbat sabbatical for like i think a year or two and he was the one that basically launched t-cell at penn with carl june who was wow. like the guy on the lab side so yeah. um yeah, no, I, I, I get it, you know, and things things do cost money. Um, I think just the, the, the rate of it, the, it's astronomical, you know what I mean, to be able to um, expect, and also the regulation around it with insurance companies, with the government, things like that. It's it's definitely uh, definitely very interesting, you know, you want to continue to advance medicine. And then that, that's the thing too, like Nick was always about, we actually have a research portfolio at Penn. When we first started, we, we were dumping some money into research as an organization because we were still trying to figure out our identity like where were we going to fit yeah came to the point where like we were grinding like non-stop and i i said to my mom like why are we funding all these other initiatives when we could be doing this ourselves and having even a greater impact in nick's legacy wait what do you mean you like we're funding studies though, like right? we were funding we had a research portfolio at pen which right. we still it's still there it, it, millions of dollars are in it and it just it's used for studies okay. um and we were also given like a lot of money to look Le leukemia lymphoma society Got and it. groups like that um that were already established and had programming the, the what, what did they say that broke the camel's back what's the saying that the straw that broke the camel's, camel's back, back yeah. was every year we would do like the night to light walk and i'm not knocking leukemia lymphoma society because they do great things but they had a director that um, we were contributing a significant amount of money each year. And we would get like invited to like these award ceremonies, but not even like be acknowledged. And it not about that by any stretch of the imagination, but like we were the leading contributor. Mm. And I'll never forget, um, we had gone to this award ceremony and we weren't even acknowledged, even though we gave the most amount of money. Following week, we're back in the office and we get a phone call from the director 
asking if we would give more than we already gave. And to me, that's like double dipping. That's like, come on. So that was like the camel that broke broke the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was like, I literally had a board meeting. And I got the board to vote in favor of not contributing uh, to any other organizations and start investing in our own services. And at the same time, I put a presentation together because my mom talked about her being conservative was against changing our logo because it was Nick's original logo. Mm. But it had a lacrosse stick running. That's hard. That's hard. hard. But it had a lacrosse stick running through it. Yeah. So I would go into corporate settings and I would present, share our story. Like, oh, yeah, you're a lacrosse club. I'm like, no, we're actually a foundation, you know. Um, so rebranded, I, I, I put together stuff, rebranded. I had to do a whole presentation. I did logos literally from McDonald's to see like the logos, Pepsi, Coke. And I literally gave a presentation. I had a board vote <laughs> outrule my mom to change the logo, to change our That's mission, tough, though. Uh, and also Damn. to start investing into our own services instead of because what happens is like LLS looked great, and here we are like grinding every single day to make like to raise money, and then we're just giving it off to this group, and then they're 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 advancing their mission wasn't helping us so. You don't know where it's going. Technically, huge, you don't know where it's going either. That was a huge change in Headstrong's trajectory. Um, so, but no, it's been it's been great, and we've been very blessed with a lot of supporters and and just you know being able to help people and they're you know desperate desperate stages. But you, I mean, it's pretty clear to me, like just looking at the arc here, you found your expertise through this. Like, and that last story is a great example. Like you. In building this organization, not I don't want to say it wasn't by accident. I mean, you were working every day, but without like knowing what it was going to be day one, you're just selling T-shirts, as we said. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to keep marketing it. You had to yep. keep figuring out like, okay, here's how we take the next step, whatever. And so then that really got you on the bug of, hey, I feel like I know how to message some things. Yeah, and the the, the ch- one of the biggest challenges that I fought for was my mom, my brother were very protective over the folks we were working with. What do you mean? Right. So I kept drilling this conversation into them saying, like, if we don't show people the patients we're working with, how do you expect them to support your mission? So this is like meaning like taking pictures, shooting videos, telling these people stories. So, so I weren't this, doing any of that. No. No, we were just showing all the different events that we were doing. Like, hey, we have this 5K. Hey, we have this lacrosse tournament. Hey, we have this cool mustache madness campaign. That was all being so it was all fundraising, but there was no mission, no impact. So I said I was telling them like our marketing is lopsided. We actually need the opposite. Calls needs to be like seventy percent of our marketing and thirty percent needs to show people how we do it and ask them to partake in that. So like for a while there, I started shooting videos of patients and telling their stories. And my concept was we need to tell Nick's stories. Nick's story needs to be told through today's patients. And that was my vision, and we've been doing it ever since. And the more that we tell these stories, the more people are going to connect to it, the more people are going to get involved. Now, what when when you say you just kind of film their stories, are you talking about like you made YouTube videos? Yeah, like just... we have a production group that we have several that we work with. Uh, one, I'll give them a plug, New Pace. They're phenomenal. They do a great job. Um, and that we basically tell these people stories. And then we, we end it with Headstrong how headstrong intervened to help 
Everyone's just like five minute content, 30 minute content. The videos are typically two and a half minutes. Okay. So we shoot, like, we actually had a shot. We had a shoot today over at Nick's house, or yesterday we had a video shot. But what's cool is I try to tell folks, like, your story can be, can impact lives just like Nick's. And if you're able to share, and it's not easy and everyone's different, but if you share your story, the next person in line, when they watch that, that, that could be the difference in getting them through the day. Yeah. And you have the ability to be an inspiration to those that are following in your footsteps. Nick's whole thing was, I want to help, I want to help people that are following in my footsteps. And I want to be a source. I want, I want them to draw strength from me. I want to be a source of strength and hope for them. And they're going to do that through Headstrong, you know? So um, it's definitely been <laughs> a roller coaster ride of a lot of different hurdles. But like I said, I mean, there's a quote that's like that I that I that I that I live by, and I'm I'm trying to think of it. Um, it was like you can't go a day without. It was almost like you can't. Um, it's what's the coach Wood? Um, John Wood. Yeah, he has a quote. Look it up real quick. It's okay. it's awesome. I love it. It's like you got almost like doing something where they can never pay you back. Like you can never live a full day without. Um, you'll probably pull it up. You can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Yeah, that's like my favorite quote. Wait, let's repeat that. You can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. That's like me in a nutshell. I love that quote, and I, I love. I, although I can't always recite it because my memory sucks because <laughs> I got so many the things idea. The going idea. on. I, I live by that concept of just constantly because I'm a big believer that like my from a professional standpoint my date my best days are ahead of me i mean it landed me my the opportunity i have now you know with pro vantage like i was able to partner with you know such an established you know uh guy and and it's leading to opportunities where i'm having calls and, and taking meetings with people that i never could imagine like would take place and i know there's a lot ahead of me like my, my from a professional standpoint I have a ton of growth and opportunity ahead of me, and I think it's a true testament to the last 15 years of me committing to this organization and the things that I've learned while operating that. How do you how do you balance it though? Because like I mean, this is obviously you seem like a machine. You, you yeah, I mean, I uh, my wife will tell you. So I'm actually reading a book right now from Scott O'Neill. You have time to read books too. Good for you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm reading a book right now. It's it's basically like be present, be where your feet are. Is that the former president of, of the, the Sixers? Sixers? Yeah. And the Devils? Yeah. yeah. And I've always, I try to draw inspiration from people like him because that's where I want to be one day. I want to have success like that. Different, a different success, but a success like that. Um, and I, I think, so I'm trying to be, my goal from this book is just trying to be, he's, it's, he talks about like being where your feet are. So if you're at work, you're all in at your work. If you're at the gym, you're all in at the gym. If you're at home with your family and wife and kids, put the phone down, put the computer down, like be there. And um, what was interesting was I picked this book up and I keep it in my bag and I literally squeeze in whenever I can find time to read throughout the day, whatever, if I'm waiting for a meeting or if I'm, you know, I uh, early mornings I'll get up, grab a cup of coffee and I'll, 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 I'll try to crush a chapter. Or even just like five, six pages, ten sure. pages, whatever. It's just get it in. That's right? the best in the morning like that. Yeah. So I actually messaged him the other day because I was like, and he's like, you should post that. But I small stuff like we don't realize how much our cell phones get in the way and distract us. 
and especially this younger generation like it's part of their like i don't know if you've ever seen a younger like teenager if you take their phone from them they almost have like anxiety it's insane so it's a limb it's their fifth limb it's it's insane so my daughters are in dance up the street here and i left it's just crazy but like it sounds crazy but it's really not it's so silly i literally left my phone in the truck walked in and just watched my kids and i was so engaged in watching them they're five and four and usually i'm there and i'm watching but then i'm answering emails i'm watching i'm answering the phone you know, I have clients call me. I have things of responsibility, you know, with work. Left the phone in the car. Afterwards, I looked at my wife. I said, like, that was the most I've, like, appreciated, like, just being present and watching my kids. Like, I was just, the fulfillment that I got, just not having the distraction. But it's something simple and small yeah. that we, like, we're, we're always on our phones, dude. It's insane how distracted we are on these devices, whether it's a laptop, iPad, iPhone, iWatch. And I've been trying to do a better job. And it's not easy by any stretch of imagination, but just trying to be like, even at the dinner table, like phones over there, going out to dinner, leaving the phone in the car, just trying to get, I, I you know, I don't watch the news, but um, I do read online about the like current events and things like that. Um, but also at the same time, just trying to do a better job at m like managing my time on my devices versus being present with, cause my, my daughter's already five years old, which is like, I can't believe, you Do know, they I mean? play with your phone time, on? they time just moves. So my, I have old iPhones that I have an iPad for my daughter and uh, for my younger daughter, middle-aged daughter, who's she's four, she's in the middle of them. And then my five-year-old has my old iPhone. So like we let them go on like the YouTube kids and they have FaceTime to be able to FaceTime you know, their cousins uh, and, and, and like their grandma, grandpa, things like that. But it's regulated and monitored. Sure. Um, but at the same good. time, my wife and I have a conversation about this because she's an educator. We don't want to neglect our kids from it either because it's part of, it's going to be like, could you imagine like my kids, like what they're going to, what's their, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? By the time that they get to 18 years old and, and they're in college, like we want to make sure that they're moving you know what I mean? It's a part it's, of... It's a balance. Yeah. It's a balance. That's why I like that like you're regulating it and paying attention, but also working it in. Because what I find is people go zero or a hundred here. They're all in just letting their kids do whatever the hell they want yep. and don't question anything. Or they try to be like the Amish people and, and tell them none of it. And then their kids fall behind with stuff. Yep. And my friends, Anthony Riley and Baker, who have all now been on this podcast, they, they run a... They have a software company that owns the fastest compression algorithm for within the realm of holograms in the world. So they are the only people that can produce live stream six degrees of freedom holograms. It's wow. going to change the world here, assuming they don't fuck it up. But anyway, <laughs> they Riley is very, very obsessed with the screen time thing, which is interesting yeah. because he's a tech. They're all tech guys. Yeah. But they have all three of them have such a good perspective. This is just something that Riley's really passionate about. So I want to point him out with this. Like he's always asking, he's like, have people checked their screen time since the pandemic started? Like, what were they doing? Yep. You know, this is a guy that will be running a tech company during the day and then go fishing off, you know, six miles offshore overnight and not think about it. You yep. know what I mean? So he has that balance. But in a way, it's like that middle ground, like everything else in society, it's very, very hard to find. So 
I don't want to be the guy that's like detests it and pretends that tech isn't critical and something that's like, I mean, it's a huge part of my life, as you can tell. Yeah. But I remember like as a personal example, that's why I like hearing that you focus on this as well, your own way. But when I was building this podcast for six months, I had a drill and I could do this at the time. Like now I do need the phone there because obviously all my marketing runs through there. So it has to be accessible. But I'm pretty good at not touching it because in those six months leading up to starting the podcast, I would take the phone and put it back there in the corner off and leave it there for 10, 12 hours at a time. And so I learned to just totally live without it. And then I started to realize, especially like in my career, which for five years, my biggest thing was I was out there with people, connecting with people. I was, I wasn't, I was a big texter, but I was on the phone a lot, like, like actually talking on it. I'm like, God damn. It's weird not picking that up and making 50 calls a day to whoever the fuck, you know, to do something. And and you don't realize that I was like, all right, I look at all these kids and they kind of have it as a fifth limb, but so do we. Yeah, you're right. And that's the interesting thing is like my kids see my wife and I on it. So they're like, it's like mommy and dad are doing it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I think in moderation is, is key. And it's interesting, like my life is very busy right with work and no. also and no. also at home so trying to balance all that making sure that i'm allocating time for my marriage for my kids you know what i mean and it also myself i mean that's that's been something that i've spent a lot of thought on like i've gotten big into the outdoors with fishing slowly creeping into hunting uh, trying, have, like, trying I, to have something to do with that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh actually fishing before i got you know you know my friendship has developed, you know, significantly with him, but, um, you know, like I don't play sports anymore. You know what I mean? So I've done some fitness things, some endurance challenges just to challenge myself. Um, but like the outdoors thing has definitely been like my time to just escape and just, you know, yeah. headspace, you know yeah. what I mean? Now, when you, um, when you go hunting and fishing, yeah, you have the phone with you, but do you turn it off or what's, What's the deal there? So I have the phone on me for emergency reasons, but at the same time, like, I don't touch it. That's good. You know what I mean? And my fishing typically is early morning. So I leave the house at, like, 4.30 in the dark, and I'll fish until the wife calls me and says, yo, they're all up. Get home. <laughs> but, awesome. um, you know, and that's just, like, something that I've picked up over, like, the last two years. Um, but, no, it's been life be- – like, there's um, – but the book, going back to that book, it's just been the last few weeks I've felt – um, I, I felt like the most balanced I've been, you know what I mean? Because sure. I feel like I'm engaging, you know, like cause it, it goes back to like, okay, I take a meeting and I'm sitting here on my phone. What does that tell the other person? I'm not really interested. You know what I mean? So being f- fully committed to where you are at that time and then, you know, managing your schedule to the point where it's balanced, but at the same time, when you're in those individual things, make sure you're focused and you're, you're present, you know? And that's been the theme of the book so far. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I noticed you said two things, though, in, in our first two conversations before we got in here, because we just got connected. But when I talked to you on the phone and we were scheduling you coming in here, you're almost like you were very planned about it, too. We were going through which day you could come in, and you were explaining how one of your kids was a little bit sick. I think she had a fever or something yep. like that. And yep. you're like, so I, I definitely don't want to do it tomorrow night because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to – I can't be present for her. I need to be present for that. And then when you came here today and you were talking about golf and, and getting your wife clubs and everything, and you're like, I'm looking forward to the fact that, like, 
if I have something I enjoy, she can enjoy it with me too so we don't grow apart. Like you're very, very conscious of not just like this moment right now, but also like over time, how do I allocate that time? If I have, obviously you have all these very important responsibilities and aspirations on top of that, basically like running two companies here, a nonprofit and a for-profit. Yep. But like there's also the most important balance of your personal life and, and the people you care about most and not feeling like to me, the way it comes across is not feeling like you're allocating a timestamp for them, but saying like, how do I make sure that when I'm with them, I'm actually with them and I'm not dragging these other things into it and I'm not over deltaing the other things in my life to ignore them. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, and I think I am very big on being present with my, I am very active in my life with my kids and wife. Like that's priority one. Cause I feel like if that's not strong, that will not allow me to achieve my ultimate success. You know, my wife is, a, she's very strong, like just in general. Yeah. Uh, and I, and that attracts the shit out of me because not only is she beautiful, but she's an incredibly strong woman. She's the first girl that I met that like held me accountable. You know what I mean? And I was like, I was telling her dad this over the, like last weekend when I was down at the shore house, I said, your wife, like you've, your, your wife is just so incredible She's the first girl that, like, I didn't, like, walk on. Like, she punched me right in the face. And I was, like, I immediately knew, like... Your I daughter, bought, you mean? Her, da ta her daughter. Right, yeah, right, right. His daughter. Yeah. I bought a ring within, like, two months of meeting my wife. No shit. Yep. When did you meet her? Ba I started dating May, two May 29, 2011. And was you were engaged in two months? I, I bought a ring, but I wasn't engaged. So, the like, we were probably engaged within one year. She was just graduating wow. college. Wow. Yep. So we got married young, had kids young. We wanted to be young parents. But um, but yeah, like she's a real one. She's awesome. And uh, but like that's where my my main priority, my main focus is her and my kids. And like I don't miss doctor's appointments. Like I don't miss anything. My kids, my wife are first, and then I work around that. You know. So like from a from a management standpoint. Like, I have my responsibility. I don't stop. It's like seven days a week for me. When I get home, I immediately get down on the floor. I spend time with my kids. I spend time with my wife. I make dinner. We, we, you we, make dinner? Yeah. Come on. I swear to God, my wife, my wife, that's the one thing my wife can't do is cook. She's not the best of cook, but I'll make dinner. My wife takes the kids up, gets them ready for, for bed. I clean up. I meet her up there. We put the kids down. I spend time with her. And then when she falls asleep, I go to work. And I literally open my laptop. I'll work from... 10 30 till 1 2 in the morning every night and then i'll take a will go to sleep you know depending on when i get tired and i'll sleep for a few hours and wake up i'm up by 5 36 a.m the next day now i mean as the foundation was growing especially like 2012 2013 2014 2015 and really starting to explode and you're spending all your time there what like <laughs> excuse me for being like a little bit shocked but where does it come from to be like you know what I, trent let's start a company on top of that, like, are you pulling away from time? You, I take it you were spending on Headstrong as well because you have a full team now there too? Or, or what's the, like, how does that so my, come to light? My pro vantage is done after, is basically after my, uh, like, this is the thing with Headstrong. I don't necessarily look at Headstrong at like a nine to five. Sure. Right? Now, I do have responsibilities to the organization throughout the day. But um, I basically, usually like after four o'clock, I'll start working on ProVantage stuff. A lot of it is phone calls, packaging deals for the athletes, uh, talking with, with organ like 
you know, companies that need help from a marketing standpoint. But the interesting thing is, um, Headstrong is always a part of like that conversation naturally, sure. where it actually yields more opportunity for the organization because they're like, you know, what's this organization you're involved with? Like it's or what's your story? And I tell them about Nick. I tell them what I like, what I've built here with my mom and brother and things like that. And they're so infatuated by it, but like they want to get involved in some way. They might make a donation. They might do something, uh, support an event, things like that. So they complement one another. Um, but like with, with Trent, um, and your business partner to be clear is former Eagles. Great. Trent Cole. Yes. Yeah. Three awesome. time pro bowler, you know, Pretty he's, cool. um, I, I'm a big believer. Like he is so grounded and so humble that it's very attractive. Uh, I couldn't. I like when I first had. I was I was consulting for a digital marketing agency, and and Brandon, who's the is the CEO of that company, is like a great mentor of mine. He's a great friend, and um, he was. I was learning the digital marketing world with him, and he was teaching me. And I was work. I was doing really well from a business development standpoint. You know, when is this? This is uh, 2009, and then kind of okay, like early. halfway through 2020, Got and then it. I kind of said to myself, like, I, I'm just going to start doing this myself, you know what I mean? Um, and it's going to, it's an asset that I could build for that's going to benefit me and my family, you know, in the in the long run. And I'm more of the philosophy of a marathon, I'm more of like the marathon than the sprint. Everything I do is a marathon, um, and it's and it's planned out strategically that way. So that way, I know it's got longevity. I know it's got sustainability, and it's scalable. Um, and so, what was interesting was I brought Trent on as a client when I was working with this organization, and I was just I wasn't necessarily doing his marketing. I just brought him on as an account, and kind of would move on to the next account. How'd you get connected with him? Uh, Cole called him. So, oh, shit. yeah, I am. What I learned in nonprofit is you got to ask. I ask. I'm not shy to ask anything. I don't care who it is. I will ask you because you're already starting out with a no. <laughs> so if you don't ask in nonprofit, you don't thrive. You don't <laughs> you don't survive. So you're constantly out hustling, asking for people um, for things, whether it's their time, money, expertise, sure. um, whatever the case may be. You got to find what the fit is. But with Trent was, I don't, I don't necessarily know what was going on with him and the and, and his account manager at the time, whatever. But he kept calling me like, uh, Mike, like there, this isn't getting done, or I, can you just do it? Da, da, da. So I'm like, listen, I can't do that because of my contract, and and that's what that that's not my job here. So he kept calling me like, I want, I just want you, Mike. I just want you to do this work for me. So like, I eventually I, I had a discussion with the CEO of the company. I said, listen, um, you know, I'm going to kind of step away. I still actually use this firm though to help run Headstrong. So they're a great organization. Got it. And they do a great job. Um, That's nice. It worked out that way. Yeah. And, and, and mutually Brandon's like, it's time for you to kind of take that next step. So, I was down the beach last summer around this time, like July-ish of last summer. And I was down there on vacation, and um, I get a phone call from Trent. He's on his way to a fishing tournament, and he's like, I couldn't sleep last night. I was like, why? He's like, I just couldn't. I just kept imagining, like, going into business with you. I was like, 
what do you mean? Like, uh, and I, he's like, I want to do, I need, I need to go into a business with you. I've never met somebody like you before. Like your grind, your, I, your hustle, um, wow. and, and your commitment. And, and I, I could trust you with, with anything. I can trust you with my kids. And I was like, he's like, um, we need to do something. So I was like, all right, let me think about it. I would love to go into business with you, you know, knowing um, just a short window that I knew him and, and how well positioned he was and how grounded he was to the level of success that he received. Like, it reminded me kind of like he's obviously achieved a lot more than I've achieved, but like we share very similar, like we live a very similar way. You know what I mean? How we go about our days. You know, obviously he's found incredible success and has made a shit ton of money doing it. Yeah. But you would never even know that when you, if you met him. Guy will give you the shirt off his back. He's awesome. So it's, I was like, I, I, will, I will say just to interrupt ahead. for one second. It's very cool when I get to hear on the personal side that guys who appear this way publicly actually are. Yeah. It's like I, you know, I'm a diehard Eagles fan. I, yeah. I love, I love Trent Cole. Yeah. Right. But you'd, he, you'd, you'd see, you'd see him talk and you're like, Oh, this guy's got a lot of respect in the locker room. He's like a nice, even keel guy. And then, nope, that's what he's actually like in life. Wait, very, when very he cool. called me back, like I literally emailed him and I left him a voicemail when I was first trying to get Blitz Outdoors as a client. And when he called me back like two days later, I was like, what? Like Trent Cole called? Like he's one of my favorite. Him, Brian Westbrook, and Brian Dawkins are like, that's yeah. that's my age. Like. You know, like they're a little bit older than me, but like those were my guys. Like I'm a huge Eagles fan, and the fact that like one was calling me back and wants to, I was just blown away. I'm like, no, sh no way. And then we forged a great relationship beyond just like the business side. Like, you know, I talked to him. We talk about like all kinds of stuff. Even just we talk more outside of business than we do business. It's just like you know, just where where our where our relationship has grown, but. Um, you know, I said to him, we, we, we have a lot of deep conversations and like my wife said yet yeah, last night, like you guys are like two little girls. I was <laughs> like, no, it's not like that. But it's like, we have like really strong conver deep conversations about topics and about things. And, um, can you actually, and, and if you don't want to do this, no problem, but can you give like an example? Like, what do you mean when you say we have deep conversations? I, I can kind of guess, but yeah. You know. I mean, a lot of it is like what's going around the world today, mm. you know, racism. I mean, I'm a big believer in like education. So if you're going to speak to something, like at least take the time to educate yourself. Because I feel like so many people, because we're online so much, they get rolled into like an agenda that's and a story that's already told without actually like like for example like Fox News or CNN mm, or yep. or even somebody's specific stance on something which everyone's entitled to like their opinion, but take a time out and actually go do some research on whatever that topic may be. Whereas I feel like people don't understand they they don't take the time to learn and actually no factual information, mm. so they just fall in line right, and then all that does is that digs a bigger hole right a, a bigger ditch and also times makes them look like an ass you know uh whereas like for us it's like we try to have deep conversations and, and talk about issues talk about problems like like life like in general and what's going on around the world and 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 talk through it like from a like logic like logic you know um and it's also cool because 
his kids are similar ages as, as my kids. So we're, we're experiencing similar things. And, you know, when you become a parent, there's decisions you got to be made. There's, you know, there's things that you experience that, you know, you have to figure out and figure out how you're going to teach it and, and how you're, what this, you know, how you're going to go about your life with your kids and how you're going to mentor them. And it's not always easy, you know? Um, and there's just things that are hard. It's like my life right now with little kids is very busy. It's very hard. There's a lot of lifting involved. So like, you know, and balancing all that can be a challenge at times too. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of it. And, and, and also too, a lot of discussions we had were, you know, Trent's a former, you know, professional athlete for a while. And like when you're in that position, yep. they're, they're constantly being, uh, there's, people constantly looking at them as a price tag. There's yeah. constantly people trying to take advantage and it happens more than we think it does, believe it or not. And, oh, all the time, man. And 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 that's one of the reasons why like I felt so compelled to launch a company with him cuz I was like the idea was like I Trent's very successful, probably more successful off the field than he was on the field, right? Uh, but he's quiet and he's humble about it. So not a lot of people know and he likes it that way, which is good. But like I immediately jumped in and started helping him in, in multiple ways. And he was like, Mike, you know, I can't tell you like how many guys need you and what you're doing for me. There's guys out there that like are that that don't even know that they need you. So I, I now kept, what just refresh my memory. I think you said this like ten minutes ago, but specifically what kind of things were you doing for him? This is before ProVantage and all that. Marketing, you know, like, so after after I kind of disconnected from the firm that I was consulting with, mm -hmm. I just came on and was just working with Trent on some of his business things, some business management services, Got some it. administrative, you know, services, uh, marketing, like managing, you know, different marketing and also sponsorship, selling sponsorship for him. And, and I've been really successful at it. And he kept saying, like, I, I, I just... You don't realize like, how many guys need yeah. you and people like you. So like in hearing that on a consistent level, I'm like big on trying to find themes, right? So he kept talking and I listen, you know, I listen to people all the time. Like I'm, I know I'm talking a lot on this podcast, but that's kind of unlike that's me. That's how I'm setting it up for you. You're doing a great <laughs> job. That's really like against who I am, but I know it's a podcast, so we're here to talk. Um, and it's my first, so I'll learn from it, but I'm, I I try to be more of the listener side. Like when I join meetings with my team, I'm not. I might kick off the meeting, but like and then I shut up and I, I hand it off to people and I engage the group because everyone needs to be heard and, and needs to be involved. But from his standpoint, I kept hearing a theme in our conversations, and I'm like, well, why don't we launch? Why don't we launch a company, a marketing company, a firm like doing what I do for you? But why don't we just? launch it and it could be twofold. We could we could do digital marketing and marketing for businesses, but then we could also represent athletes and we can help mm. them build their brand while they're actively playing or if they're retired, working with them to try to see what can we monetize and also making sure like how we can help them. You know, we're in the business to help both businesses, I'm in the business to help people. You know, on the on the charity side, it's obviously mission focused. On this side is like helping businesses with build their brands uh, and market to their consumers or whatever their target is and also help these athletes out because these athletes need people like me to in order to figure out what's next for them beyond playing their sport, right? And that's th – there's two really interesting things to unpack here. So let's start with the first one. 
as it seems Trent pointed out to you, and I mean, he could not be more correct about this. The when you look at the athlete and entertainment business, like the business of the individuals, it is one of the scummiest things, one of the scummiest industries out there. I mean, I I always put a weight probably way too high percentage on it, but maybe not. Like, you know, I say ninety nine percent of the people in that business are often scumbags just looking to take advantage of somebody. Correct. And, you know, the person we have in common, Chaz, who worked in that industry, I, did, yeah. I, I wouldn't and works in it. I, I've witnessed it up close for a few years because he is so conscious of that, that it has cost him business sometimes. And what ends up happening is guys end up coming back to him like, oh, I should have gone with you in the first place yep. because he's not going to be like making promises that are ridiculous or coming out and just looking for a handout on things because he understands and he was an athlete himself, not at professional, but in college at D1, yep. like he understands what these guys deal with. And, you know, to hear somebody recognize that and then want to then use their second career to be a part of being the solution there as somebody who literally is that guy, it's pretty cool. But then to bring in someone who's outside that world who he really felt checked every box of actually getting it, it says a lot to you because those guys, and I don't blame them. They are naturally, they don't trust a lot of them. And, right. You know, the younger ones do and they get in trouble, sadly. But, like, I don't have a problem with that. I get it. Like, it, and, and that's why, like, when you, in my career, when you'd go to talk to these guys, I never went there. Like, I, it, it just wasn't, I remember we had one, because I was a banker. So we had one guy, and it wasn't, it was a guy my boss got the relationship with who was a pro athlete and he was really cool. But it's almost like uncomfortable. Because you know all the horror stories these guys deal with, and it's just this elephant in the room every time. And and sadly, you almost just don't want to touch it because you're like, if I were in this guy's shoes, fuck, I would never trust somebody on this right. side of it. You yeah, know, absolutely. And I think too, it's like there, especially guys that make it in professional sports where there's a lot of money involved. It's like their whole life like changes overnight. Mm -hmm. You know family how that how they're how they're treated and looked at from a family standpoint you know they have a lot of hard decisions and a lot of hard conversations that they have to have even with their main foundation of family members that now yeah. think that they uh, are entitled to something right and and it's not that you know and um also too anything that they're involved with um you know is uh is under the microscope and one of the th conversations that I've had with a lot of these athletes is like these agents are very transactional. They're very about the numbers. They're where the money's at, like where the easy money's at, like in the contract with the franchise, with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, they're not going to be spending the bulk of their time hustling, grinding the phones, trying to find where those opportunities are where, you know, for them to do things no. outside of the sport. And that's kind of like where we have carved out a niche and. It's all my whole thing. What I always um, was always out in the forefront of me is the relationship. That's what's most important. So a lot of times, like we have a new client, like uh, Vinny Carey, for example, played for the Eagles mm. for a while. Neptune and, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's now with the Jets. I mean, my first few weeks, it was just researching as much information and getting to know him as much as I possibly could. I literally like text and called the guy nonstop, just developing a relationship and trying to absorb as much, being a sponge, trying to absorb as much information so that way I could develop like a relationship. We didn't even talk business. It was just all relationship. And that's kind of how I've 
onboarded all of these clients and developed these relationships with people. It was like, I truly care about them and I want them to be successful. My, the way my, my mind thinks and the way that the last 15 years of my life have gone, they automatically, I already have an advantage over the next guy because they know that I'm in it for the right reasons and I've successfully built an organization, nonprofit organization. That's so huge. the That's trust huge. factor, yeah. before I even had my first conversation with these guys, the fact that I have that and Trent. That's what I was going to say. The second like, part is that. Boom. Yeah. And then it's just like, now we're at the point now where like, we have guys reaching out to us, and but we're trying to find the right athlete or the right influencer that is willing to buy in to us and and not and kind of leave the history that they've had behind them because some these guys some of these guys do have their guards up they have had Absolutely. bad experiences or they want to have control and and we want them to be a part of the process but we have a system in place that works and we want to make sure that we could have the freedom to do that because in the end. And you're right, because we've had this experience a little bit where some guys are like, nah, now they're coming around saying, okay, you know what I mean? Kind of like what you just said without Chaz, where some of these guys might decline us, but, and even with guys that we're working with initially, we're like, nah, but now the things that we were requesting are now coming in and they're flowing in. So it's, it's huge, a process and it's time. It's huge when they see, because obviously, and it, this isn't one of those silent partnership things like Trent's on the ground there with you and how you operate. It's huge. And this is no disrespect to you, but yeah. it's huge to have that in there as well, because then they know they have one of their own kind in there. Somebody who's been there, yep. done that, gets that. He trusts you. He works directly with you. He's involved in everything too. So there's, there's a comfortability there that it, it, it's cool to see that as well because it's like the circle of life. You yep. see, I'm almost surprised that you don't see as much of that. Like I appreciate when you hear about former players becoming agents and stuff, which is a rare type of occurrence. Yep. They get it. You know, yep. they were on the other side of that phone. Yep. The management business, I'd like to see more of that too because yep. they were on the other side of that phone. Yep. But the, the second thing I wanted to raise a couple minutes ago that strikes me on this because you kind of insinuated it, but maybe I'd, I heard it wrong, is the whole like finding the purpose thing. And I'd love to talk to Trent about this himself as well. But, you know, I'm always blown away by great athletes, especially like ones who have a long career, but even the ones who have a shorter career, they've been doing it their whole life. It's like you get to the pinnacle of your profession. And it's one of the rare things where when you're starting to maybe even enter your prime as like an adult, let alone like your career, technically this career is ending you know guys they they lose that step at 32 33 and it starts to then they got to retire by 35 a lot of them if they last that long right and so then it stops right like every single day six seven days a week yep. for years yep. it's like and everything's scheduled i have this workout i work with this guy we They're have, we have every this three minutes are controlled yes so now suddenly you not only go away from the thing you love or came to love whatever it is yep. you you also now don't you know you're free with your day and everything and now you're like well i'm also young i'm vital i got a lot of shit going on i have a lot of great connections from what i did a lot of these guys are also very smart guys interested in other things but they're like what the fuck do i do with my life i also and and if they were smart with their money like trent they have a lot of money now too and they're like well what is there to it? You know what I mean? So most professional athletes are in financial hardships within three years of retirement. Yeah. Um, and the average career of a professional athlete is like two to three years. Yep. 
Um, what we're trying to do on the athlete side is, and we can't be everything to everyone, everyone, but like, I want to replicate what Trent did. Trent knew Trent, Trent first. And when he first got paid, he bought a real estate property. He didn't even, he didn't, <laughs> you know not what I mean? Not for himself. Not for an investment. Investment property. Um, Brilliant. He knew exactly, he had his whole thing planned out while he was active. And what I see in these guys is they, they might have the financial advisor and they might be invested, but they don't necessarily have a plan for beyond football. So what do they do? Or beyond football, like what their sport is, like they'll try to hold on to that sport for as long as they possibly physically can. Yeah. Not obviously to make they already have the money, but it's like they don't know what's next, yeah. and they're scared shitless. So like trying to have strategic sessions and conversations and planning around that, they say, okay, like you're playing career, you're on the other side of this. So what's next for you? And and we want to help you. Figure that out. And however we fit in that, we fit. But like we're in the business to help. And that's and it's about the relationship. And and um it's been interesting because a lot of these conversations initially are hard. They're hard conversations that you're having with people that have found like a lot of success and they're looking at you like, Who are you? <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, it's like the guards up too. The guards up too. But eventually that conversation changes. And they start to realize that we have an invested interest in them and we want what's in their best interest. Um, and we want to help them figure out what's next. And also, Max, it's a very, very important, especially on the athlete side, like these guys are active. They have the they have the following online. They have the attention of oppor- like they have opportunities flowing in, but they don't necessarily vet those opportunities out because mm-hmm. they don't have the time or the bandwidth. And and also too, they have the attention of the fans. So let's figure out what's next for you while you're actively playing and you're at the height of everything. So that way, in a few years from now, whatever it is, whether it's a year or ten years, you have that next part of your life figured out. If not, it turns to drugs, drinking, gambling, yeah. financial. You know, they're done. You got to bankrupt. Re- you got to replace that thing. Yep. You know, and it it's almost bizarre. Some of the last people you would have expected it from because they were so locked in. And uh, an example that comes to mind that obviously had a sad ending is like a Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was locked and loaded for 20 years. Yep. Didn't, didn't do much else. But very quietly, especially in the last few years of his career, in the off seasons, just began to pay attention to a few things, was very interested in venture capital and said, yep. okay, I'm going to learn it all when I get out. Well, let me get the early stuff. And so when he left the league, machine. He, he he And, you know, obviously no one was behind closed doors with him. I'm sure there were still times where it's like, shit, I don't do that anymore. But, like, he was building a venture capital company. Yep. Fucking guy won an Oscar. Yep. Did all, like, he filled that, he, he fulfilled a lot of that void and then was so active in his kid's life and everything as well. And it's like, you see that and you're like, oh, that's great. How many athletes do that? And they don't have to be a legend like Kobe Bryant. I'm saying, like, how many solid athletes come out and then they're like, oh, I got it figured out. Not many, man. Not and 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 I I get it. I get it. It's 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 hard. And when I say I get it, I was never there. But like from the outside, you know that like, oh, they're they're living for this. And now it's like, well, that's gone. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, it's if you look at Allen Iverson, yeah. 
I mean, his one agent, I think, locked away his Reebok contract till he was like 55. Give that guy <laughs> God, a medal of honor. But like that guy blew through. I heard, I, I mean, I read up. I'm very interested in, I do a lot of research and reading on people and, and, and how they became successful, whatever their success is and the journey along the way and how they got there and, and, and the different things. But like he used to apparently, from what I read. Yeah, I know. Yeah, say this. He would never even like pack luggage nope. to a trip. He had an entourage of like fifty plus people that traveled. He would literally buy himself and everyone stuff every time they went to a new city, and like the guy was in a, they'd leave it in the hotel room and just leave it. Yeah, and like that's just mind boggling uh, to think about. But in his, but he had so much. I mean, look at some of the musicians like Nelly, and look at DMX when he passed away. He's in Michael Jackson. Like it's crazy to think about how much you know money um, and debt these people were in because of decisions they made, and because they didn't have the right people behind them. And that's kind of like, kind of the equation. Like I'm looking to try to. I know Trent and I and Pro Vantage can't serve everybody, but if we could help these guys and and whatever that is whether it's within their nonprofit or whether it's in a new venture that they want to explore or whether it's helping them even with their current marketing to make sure that it's up to par so that way they can monetize deals you know like these a lot of the a lot of the a lot of stuff that we're doing is brand ambassador stuff so like these guys are have built credibility within their sport they have a platform they have following they can they could sell to that audience because that pe- there's people like them you know, like their fans worship them, especially Philadelphia sports fans. So what? where are their interests, where are their passions? And we work with them to identify brands and we reach out to brands on their behalf to see if there's an invested interest or some type of marketing that we can align them with. And then we vet that opportunity for them and present it to them to see if that's something they want to move on or not. Well, you know, the guys are getting during their career still, though, too, that's. It's it's good that you do like you you can get to them and and have those conversations and and push them because again as I said a few minutes ago like they're so focused on that career while they're doing it and yes they that needs to be their priority just like Kobe had it but I don't think when they're so locked into that guys appreciate I don't want to say appreciate I don't think they realize how valuable it is that everywhere they go just with their team. Yep. There is a camera on them. Yep. Now, are people watching TV? No, but they are watching live sports. Yep. But outside of that, all those cameras and all those TV feeds go right on the social media. So it's the same shit. Yep. And the second you retire, you could be Kobe, you could be a solid starter. Yep. It's gone. Yep. There's no one following you around your kids, your house with your kids. There's no one following you around to your office for your family office downtown. No one gives a fuck. Yep. So now that currency and like a legend can kind of get away with it, obviously. Right. But like that currency of that attention for even like a great player. Yep. Gone. I know. It's so true. I mean, and that's that's part of the the uphill battle that we're, we're working with them on. You know, some naturally... Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into sports. They'll become like an analyst or something like that. But um, a lot of these guys, they really don't know what's next for them. And, and that's kind of scary, you know what I mean, to think about because they've achieved so much success in their sport. And then, like, they're hanging on. Eventually, they get injured. And they're one injury away from, like, a career-ending, you know, situation. And and like I said, I mean, we're there to try to be a support system. You know what I mean? And we, we do that through business management services, through marketing and through sponsorship and basically trying to figure out like 
literally having like vision conversations, which se- which is actually, believe it or not, a huge. I'm very big in strategy. I'm, I'm that's one of my strengths is vision, strategy, things like that. I I could see for some reason. I have the ability. I've done it with Headstrong. Like I have, that's one of my strengths. I've I've been analyzed through testing and things like that, and I have the ability to to visualize things. And vision is one of my key strengths. So trying to carry that over to them to let them see, like, and the other thing too is like they ha- they do have a lot of fi- opportunities at their fingertips, yes. and it's a matter of trying to figure out okay which one do we activate on because and and does that align with what you really truly want to be doing next or can we start that now. And 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 then that transitions you to that next chapter. Um, you know, these guys, they don't really get a lot of time off. And when they're off, they're with their family. You know what I mean? And they also need to turn it off so that way they could actually be somewhat, you know, balanced from yeah. a mental health standpoint, you know? It is. You know what, though? I, one thing I do want to push back on to have this conversation because it, it, it's interesting. Yes, they do have a lot of things at their fingertips, and that continues to happen. You see, the world is run on marketing on socials, and these guys have attention on socials. Yeah. Agreed. But the competition for attention, not just with the rise of content and the number of places and quick attention people can give stuff on various platforms, the competition for the number of people in society who get attention is much, much more than it was 15 years ago. And I'll give you – I know you know that, but just to put it – for the listeners to put a visual on what I mean by that. Let's take a guy who was like a really good Eagles player who was popular but maybe not like a superstar around the world. Brent Selleck. All right. That's a good one. Great time, no, man. No, actually it's not because Brent was really involved in the community. He was. And he, he was. has a very good regional presence he that does. way. Not that the guy I'm going to say doesn't, but not to the level Brent did with a bar and everything, like all that. Yeah. Jeremiah Trotter. Let's okay. name him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jeremiah Trotter was a five-time pro bowler for the Eagles, phenomenal linebacker, one of my favorite players. Same. Great guy all the way around. Like, if Jeremiah Trotter walked into a Wawa... 15 years ago, people, especially in the Philly area, people are going to be like, holy fuck, that's Jeremiah Trotter, yep, right? Yep. Today, that still might, like, let's say he was active today, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. was at the height of his game. Yeah. That's still going to happen a little bit. Some yeah. people will get a video, maybe. Some people will take a selfie. But it's more run, run of the mill. And the reason I say that is because 15 years ago, an influencer who traveled around the world and took pictures of themselves did not have 2 million followers, let alone a platform to even do anything. And now they're fucking famous. And yep. they're all held, like no matter what you do, athlete, influencer, entertainer, celebrity, comedian, whatever, it's all a part of the same thing. And yep. that thing is the time out of 24 hours of a day, 17 of which people are actually awake, yep. that people can allocate to you. So even like bigger athletes, I'm not talking the legends, I'm talking like guys who are really solid names, even on like a regional basis like that. There's going to be less of that star factor because by the way, when you go to their Instagram bio, maybe they have 120,000 followers, but this jerk off over here making videos down the street has 750. So who's more popular in the eyes of the 17, 16 year old kid who's driving the market? You're right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think too, goes to the reason why I decided to move forward with ProVantage and focusing on the athlete side is these guys have the opportunity to build their brands right by using platforms like podcasting, like social media platforms, like their website. Like they need to be active online. You know, like there was some athletes, I was doing some like data research. I was looking at some athletes that are like stars on their team 
and like haven't posted a social media in like six months. And I was just like, it was eating me alive saying like, do you realize the opportunity that you have if you just post a picture or a video? Like your fans go bullshit over it. Like it's not like it's hard. Why are you not doing that? And and, and can we help you do that? You know, Um, because in exchange for that, like my whole thing is, is like, what can we monetize to so that way you're not touching your your football money, you're not touching your professional sport money. That's in your investments. That's that's saved. Like that's being invested. Let's that's figure, what Gronkowski did, right? Let's figure out what we could. I mean, Gronkowski did that. That um, uh, what are, what are they? That Chaz is involved with um, the NFTs. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, but but he, I think, I may have him backed up. One of them, either his salary or all of his endorsement money. You're right. He's never touched, touched. one of them. You're right. Yeah. And now some other guys do that too. Yeah. So I, I like that you. But like that trying in. to, if you actually Google the endorsement money, a lot of these athletes, especially the superstars, are making more off the endorsements than they are actually with with their sport. Like LeBron James is a perfect example. Sure. Right. Um, the other thing is to give heightened light to micro level influence. Actually, have. So what we're seeing is a lot of brands, instead of, there's only so many Michael Jordans, LeBron James, Tom Brady's, not every brand can be Nike and fund that, that big contract. So what a lot of these other guys are doing is they're working with people like ProAdvantage and they're spreading out their marketing budgets over 30 micro level influencers versus one big monster whale, right? So we're able to maximize that for our athletes to say, okay, we have this portfolio of athletes. Some they're all over the place. Like some are incredible, like superstars, and some are just micro level guys. Who are some of the guys you work with? If you don't mind me asking. So Trent and I are kind of like uh, confidential yeah. about who we're working with and things like that, just because um, you know. So for us, us, our standpoint, it's it, it has to make sense. It's got to be a good fit, but. Those micro-level influencers that have 100,000 followers on Instagram are actually just entitled to the guys that, you know, are the are the, uh, the mega influencers because these brands are like, we don't have that. In the, we can't pay LeBron right. James, and we can never be Nike, but we have an incredible apparel line, and we have marketing money. We allocated $5 million towards marketing, so let's take a million and spread it over 15 influencers. So these, these athletes have a platform that they need to be activating on to make money you know what i mean why not you know but they also need support underneath them they can't do it themselves um so that's kind of the niche a lot of stuff that we're doing is brand and brand ambassador stuff influencer marketing stuff within the athletes getting them aligned with brands and then moving them into their marketing so if there's activation on uh events you know where they could be you know uh, like i'm working on an event right now where i have i'm actually i spend a lot of time working with guys that retired um, that are Philadelphia-based athletes working with companies in the greater Philadelphia area that are doing like private parties for their clients. You know, like I'm talk, I'm working with a with a group right now that's a big, uh, it's a global company. They and they've out they've they've brought me on to basically get former professional athletes in Philadelphia area there for their 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 fly, they're bringing it, they're having like a convention essentially mm. for all of their clients. They're in the automotive industry, and they're bringing and they want to have a private party at Xfinity Live. So I'm working with them, and I've I'm already, <laughs> I've already secured like all these professional former Philadelphia Eagles. It's an Eagles party, um, 
And I've I've secured like four or five professional athletes that used to play for the Eagles that that they asked me to get. Um, so like guys that are even retired, I've been out 15, 20 years, still have opportunities. Sure. To 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 uh, for them to make an appearance, to sign autographs, uh, to to join like every day. I manage Trent stuff. Every day he's got like a dozen podcasters. He's asking them to come on, and he's open to like he's the type of guy like I'll do it. Let's go. Like you know, he's just that's just how he rolls. Um, not everyone's like that, but um, so like there's always opportunities on the table for sure for these guys. And the the biggest opportunities are is when they're active, yeah. and that's when we need to be you know taking advantage. They need to be taking advantage of those opportunities because that could land them. Into that next stage, sure, you know, sure. and that's that's kind of the thought process that I've been trying to preach to these guys. We got to think bigger. We got to take time out, remove yourself from the sport, and let's put the thinking caps on from a business standpoint and talk about where are you at in three, five, ten, you know, years. You know, we know where you're at, family. We know where you're at right now, but what's next for you? And that's and they're not always easy conversations to have, but at the same time, like they're necessary, um, and. On the other side is what's what would be what's awesome is when we're working with a brand or a company and we can align the influencer with the company. Oh yeah, which is something that we're doing a lot recently. There's like a there's a technology company that we're involved with. They they also sponsor Trent, but we're now talking to them about filtering in some other like athletes because they want to tap into other sports. So we actually have a really unique proposal on the table right now that we're 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 exploring with them, but. Like if we could continue to build upon our relationships on the on the company and brand side, and continue to build our roster and portfolio of athletes, and the more that they interchange, the more successful everyone's going to be. And it's a really unique concept, um, you know that that we're exploring there. Now, do you really? I I don't know if push is the word, but obviously you have your heavy own experience with running your own nonprofit and everything. But do you? impress upon these guys to find causes that they're passionate about to work that into a big part of what they do or does that more need to really come from them and you know it's not for you to say it's different across the board some guys already have foundations established some guys have funds that aren't necessarily nonprofits but act as nonprofits you'd be surprised so we only know like what we experience or see or learn right a lot of these guys are actually very active in giving back but they're quiet about it because, that. and that's something that I've learned over the last, since January, like really having a lot of conversations. Most of these guys do stuff, but they don't advertise it because they don't want to be everyone knocking on the door asking for, you know, hey, can you help me here? Hey, can you help me there? Because they're already getting that to begin with. So now they just kind of, it's out the back door. They're, they're, there are a lot of them are involved with the universities they went to or, or, or maybe a disease or some type of philanthropic effort that they were touched by. Um, you know what I mean? And they're all different based on kind of how they are registered upstairs, you know, as far as how they want to go about and navigate things. Um, but for the most part, everyone that I've been involved with, uh, like I'll give you an example, like Corey Anderson is a Bellator uh, fighter that we represent and we work with. And he's very big into the outdoors. Real big in the outdoors. So he a client of Trent's big into the outdoors. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so like Corey's big on mentoring like the youth to get active in the outdoors. He's a big 
believer and then that keeps kids out of trouble so like he'll take a kid he was just explaining on a, on an interview the other day i was listening to like he takes kids to the hunting store and gets them outfitted in a bow and and like takes them out and shows them how to shoot it and takes them out and and shows them how to you know basically go about the outdoors that's so cool. i've like, never heard that that's that's a new one yep. i like that so like and everyone's different you know um some people it's it's around their family other people it's around helping others some it's around a disease that maybe they might be affected by you know things like that um some grew up with in in, in un, you know unfortunate circumstances and they want to help the youth you know like vinnie carey who's a client he's very active in giving back to like underprivileged kids he runs free football camps he does stuff where he donates backpacks to kids going back to school um, he does a lot like he did uh, in, in, in before COVID, he did a couple like really cool social like gala events where he but he did like a party for kids mm. and they he, he limoed him in to the city and did this big thing. So like and he's always very active with giving back. A lot of these guys, they do that because it keeps them grounded. And but also at the same time, they don't like plaster it all over like, hey, look at me kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, what I mean, they're quiet about it. And that's something that I've learned. Not not to I, I don't want to rip people who do announce all the things they do philanthropically because I, I appreciate that they do that. But yep. you know, obviously some guys out of necessity don't want to publicize, as you said, some things because they don't want everyone calling them up because obviously there's still limited budgets with anyone regardless of how much money you make. But yeah, the the, the guys who are also doing it because they don't they don't need to draw attention to it. It's something that, that gives them a greater purpose to what they've been able to build and what they've been able to accomplish. I, I always love hearing that. I've heard some stories behind the scenes, and I don't want to defeat the purpose and say names, but guy, I don't know any of these guys. But I, I've heard some crazy stories that are first-degree stories, like someone who is directly involved with them from some of the biggest athletes in the world who do – who even sometimes like – you know, the media gets on them because they don't like a few of the things they do, like as a personality. And I just wish, like, sometimes I wish you could tell them because you hear these things they do and it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I just, I really, really appreciate that from these guys because a, a lot of, a lot of them, you know, they understand they're the one of the one of the one of the one of the 1% and their job that they got to do, even though all the things that come with it that are hard, like they do get to do the thing that most kids at some point in their life growing up, even if just for a moment, dream about being in one of the four major sports leagues, yep. right? And yep. then they make it. And so when you see guys carry that responsibility back to the community, I mean, it's, it's just awesome to me. So I, 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 like, I like that you guys are impressing upon that as well. Absolutely. I mean, we always try to make it a part. I look at it as a pizza. You got eight slices. I think some type of community initiative or charity should be a part of the slice, uh, of one of the slices for sure. Because I think, believe it or not, like I've talked to um, a couple of my buddies that are big into uh, like the former world, like world that you were in, and mm. there's actually like there was a there was a um, I think it was a New York Giant. He was telling me about like my buddy who's a financial advisor. They had a guy come in who was with the Jets and signed a big deal, and he didn't really have a portfolio established yet. Uh, nor did he have a nonprofit or anything like that. So they got him set up in his portfolio. They launched a nonprofit. Next, you know, like one of the biggest healthcare networks in New York City signed him and also made significant contributions back to his charity as part of the contract. So there's golden oper- there's gold right within 
these initiatives by just launching a nonprofit. Um, so it's like you just never know, and it's just a good thing to do because these folks, these guys, they have they have a platform, they have the attention of people, and they have the capacity to like change lives, you know, overnight. So it's definitely part of and me and my history being in a nonprofit. I started from the ground up. You know what I mean? These guys have the ability just to write the check if they really wanted to. So, and everyone, like I said, they're all different as far as how they want to go about, you know, announcing or promoting it. Some are loud and clear and some are kind of, you know, quiet behind closed doors. Well, the other thing that naturally comes to mind on, you know, figuring out the full portfolio of these guys is also, I guess I'll just use the word like activism on things because, you know, I feel like today there, first of all, I think it's a great thing that athletes can use their platform for things they're passionate about and and even politically. As long as like they're respectful of people who disagree and aren't evil for doing yep. so, I'm good with it. And and I think I think we should encourage that in a lot of ways. That said, like anything else, there's negatives that come with it. And a lot of guys behind the scenes feel pressured to feel certain types of ways about things and then they don't want to talk about it, you know, if they feel differently, which is sad to see because I feel like we're losing discussion in society and there's i mean this let's be honest this is way outside the athlete world too yeah i'm just curious for this directly but you know when, when you're talking with a lot of these guys are they is a part of the strategy really looking into like okay here's things we want to avoid i don't ever want to touch that kind of issue right there i want to stay away from this kind of pr nightmare because you know even if i feel a certain way like i don't want to open that up to the public i want to keep my my personal life slash my professional life separate from like opinions that that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean we we most of these guys like we we look for a specific client, somebody that meets like our core values and also like the fact that it kind of get the fact that we have like Trent a lot of times already has established relationships with the people that we're sure. working with, so we already know who they are, how they like what their reputation is and and kind of like who, what they represent at large before we start working with them. We do have discussions about, you know, with them, but at the same time like it's freedom of speech. They technically, I mean, they could do whatever they want. Yes. We do have discussions on it. We do have a partner, uh Life Brand, which is a company, it's a it's a software company that um, and, and TJ does a fabulous job in educating folks on when you're online, you have to be responsible for what you're posting and yeah. what you're pushing out and things that maybe you posted in, in the past come, could come back and haunt you, whether it's getting a job, whether it's getting, you know, an opportunity. I mean, you see it now. I mean, people are stepping down from things that they did. Some, of, it, some of that's bullshit though. I'm so I'm sorry. I, I got I, I got to say this because not just... Like you're not just referring to things that are happening. Like, oh, we said it two years ago yeah. while I was active. We're talking about things kids say when they're 15 now that they dig up when yeah. they were like in 09 or 2010. That's yeah. bullshit. Yeah, it's it's definitely and and I think like people can change, right? And people yes. can grow and and get better and become more aware and educated on on specific yes. topics. And that and as long as they have a choice to change in that positive direction, then you know I I agree with you. We're not all perfect. What's interesting about Life Brand, and I'll give them a plug, TJ Software allows you to basically, it screens your social media. So within the click of a mouse, they basically, you plug in your social media handles, right? They give you a report 
of everything that you've posted online ever ever and it also tells you if it's profanity if it's racist and you have the within the click of a mouse it's like 14 bucks i think that it's very very cost Come effective on. you can delete everything instantly 14 bucks I, I swear to god dude it's crazy so we're they're one of I'll our an affiliate link <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna start pushing that one so, big time. That's amazing. Uh, and you should have tj on because he's a great great guy and he's he's a great that you, is cool you, if you I like look that. at he's advertising and and he's, he's developed partnerships with like the sixers the phillies the eagles he's all over the place right now in, in a good way and uh, from an advertising standpoint he's doing great things he's uh but we're partnered with him and and he does a great job in educating us on the, the do's and the don'ts and things like that uh representation online essentially uh so but give life brand a, a check and check them out they're really it's a really unique uh software company that could save a lot of people you uh, should make that re- you should make that a requirement so like, we, like for your guys coming so on like 14 dollars now please <laughs> we do we do advise those folks to uh to look into that um and and the thing is is like we're more and that's in that realm like you know, some of these guys are controlling over what they want. Some some people hand it all off to us and say, run with it. Others are like, you push it to me, I'll post it on my social sure. media kind of a stuff. So everything that we do at ProVantage, whether it's on the business front or the athlete front, is customized to the actual client, if that makes sense. So, And it all depends on the relationship and how they want to go about business is really how we customize it. We don't have like, hey, he, these are our rates and this is what we do. It's like everything we do is tailored to the client and what where we're going to be going. And to be honest with you, when we first start our conversations, we don't even talk money. We don't even talk what we're going to do for them. We just try to learn who they are and and discover. It's a discovery session. We take weeks to discover them. We research them. I even put a presentation together and I present to them. You know, So it's much more about it's it's not looking at them as a price tag. It's trying to identify who they are and where they're going to be heading and, and trying to have them think that way. Because for so long, especially in the, on the athlete side, and I talk a lot to that, but like these guys, everything's been, like you said, like every three minutes are controlled. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where you need to be. This is when you need to be there. This is the play you're running. This is the thing you're doing. Like So like uh, we're, we're we, we try to like – advise them but at the end of the day it's their decision it's their brand if that makes sense but we're there to help them um so that's kind of where we're at with with that side um which is cool but this is the other interesting thing of this these guys they're all invested in other companies so naturally what does that do for what, what, what do you mean so like these guys they have ownership in other companies like athletes and their own so like athletes take their money that they earn from their career and they mm-hmm. invest it not only into like their portfolio but they'll buy they'll sure. invest into startups okay. they'll invest yes. into companies yes. so what's that do for us if we develop a good enough relationship with them we then get in the door to market to handle the marketing for their company or if there's specific projects it trickles back down to us if we do our job right and we execute things prop the, the right way the opportunities start to flow in you know what i mean um, perfect example is like with my business owner. We're 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 working with a bunch of different companies that he's involved with. He has his ownership stake in. You know what I mean? Because he's invested into it. So there's there's opportunities that are fall- I call them skydivers. They're just flying through the ceiling. You know what I mean? And then us, us vetting it out to see where we fit. There's like a new startup. Uh, like it's a software company uh, in the city of Philadelphia that came through one of our clients that I have a meeting with on Monday. You know, so it's like. It's just really interesting to see how 
these two div- like sectors come together are yeah. coming together and overlapping and they they should support one another trickle you know what i mean so it's, that's kind of like the vision of pro vantage is like we have the athlete side and we have the 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 um the, the company's brands that we work with that we support and together those two verticals should grow and also there's going to be some overlapping in the middle too so do you guys this is how it seems to me but correct me if i'm wrong do you guys have the vision of you're gonna build out like let's focus on the athlete side real quick you're gonna yeah. build out a company that is a full-blown athlete management company so competing with the caas of the world and stuff like that like their management side we do not want to be a sport agent so we want not agency to, not management agency. side yeah so yes. we want to we want to have a portfolio a balanced portfolio of different athletes of different genders of different ages of different demographics so that way, and the whole thing, like my, my long-term vision is to sell the whole roster. So we, because that's going to give us more leverage. Like we can go to a bigger brand and say, hey, listen, you work with us, you get all this mm. top to bottom, you know, guys that are the pinnacle of in their career and guys that are just starting out and, and representing and connecting with different audiences and things like that, different communities of people. Like the long-term vision is to take the roster and everybody eats. Mm-hmm. The whole roster eats. We all help each other. You know what I mean? That's my vision there. But it takes time to vet out the right people, yeah. to get them on the team, to show them our value and how we're there to help them. And like I talked earlier in the podcast, this is a marathon, not a sprint. In 15, 20 years from now, this company is going to be rocking. And and, and <laughs> we should no have... And, and 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 eventually we'll get investment behind it and things like that. But right now, it's just laying the groundwork. I always talk about wherever you go, drop a seed because you never know what's going to grow from it. You know what I mean? So always out there just talking to people, explaining to them what we're doing. That's why I like this podcast. I just met you today for the first time, but like it was an opportunity to come on here, share my story, tell people what we're doing on the foundation side, tell people what we're doing on, on the ProVantage side. And who knows? Some, a listener might be listening to this and might have a product or a brand that might be involved with something, and boom, it goes from there. You know? And what's interesting is... Or they might want to donate. Or they might want to donate. And, you know? and that's like the story before any of this, before ProVantage and all that. Like That's, that's, the, that's my favorite thing in yep. doing this. When, when, I, when I have people who... It could be anything, right? It could be something like that, or it could be just like something that happened to them recently when they come in here and share that because you don't know where it's going to go and... You also, you gain some kind of crazy new perspective and it's a very personal thing. But, you know, when I bring guys in, my goal the whole time is to just shoot the shit and talk about stuff going on, right? And we'll weave in society and then where things can genuinely come in or just naturally kind of come in with what they're doing to be able to speak about that. Obviously, like Headstrong is an obvious one. It's a nonprofit. Everyone should hear about that. But like with their business and stuff. Yep. Great. I'll have a lot of podcasts, though, where we never even mention that, and then people are hitting me up like, hey, that guy I see in his bio, he does this. Can I go work with him? I love that. Yeah. When it's when it gets to the point, though, where it's like everything tied together as it did with you, I, I don't mind having a long time where it's, al- it's almost like the last half hour has been like a reel for ProVantage, but you guys are unique because of the setup. You're yep. unique, as we said. You're unique because Trent's on the inside there, and obviously, like, you have a clear – you have a sustained – example of when you say like yo it's a marathon 
you can point to 15 years of going from t-shirts to 20 mil, yep. right? And yep. and doing it in a, in a very hard and emotional space too. So it's like people can get that credibility from that. And I like, I like giving that a platform a lot. I mean, it's, it, you know, like I said, I'm a sucker for the story and the story is pretty cool, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. It's been great. So listen, I do got to say this. I never forget people who anybody who helps me out like that's that's something I pride myself on but you know behind the scenes you did me a huge favor today because I, I got really really fucked over the last week by a couple people who I didn't know and lesson learned whatever but you know I appreciate you coming in to give me an episode this week that, that was a lifesaver and so whatever I can do to help 100% there I would love to get involved with Headstrong yep. that's that's an amazing amazing story and I'm excited to see what what you and Trent do here because obviously it's still early on but you know as I just said it's it's such a it is a unique value proposition in that specific industry yep thank you man I appreciate it and uh just goes along with who I am about helping people out so I'm glad I was able to come on I really appreciate the uh the opportunity to come on and just share my story Dude, I'm glad. It was, I'm, I'm surprised it was your first podcast. It's not. You're, you're good. I was very surprised when you said I used to be an introvert, and and your brother said you got to find your voice because you'd never like you're a very like like energetic guy. It's awesome. Yeah, no, and I just share one quick thing. So after Shoot. my brother passed, I um, a lot of media wanted to because we were both you know division NCAA athletes and things like that there was a lot of like press around Nick's fight right mm -hmm. and then, then then the foundation was born and and like there was I'll never forget like I neglected to do interviews with ESPN inside lacrosse like some big um trying to get the one the one group up in up in New York there was like a big media company that wanted eventually I gave in but like for the longest time, like I was like, nah, that's not happening. You know what I mean? But I'll, I'll never forget my first interview was in the locker room. And from that day on, I started to like believe in myself and what Nick told me about finding your voice. So if there's anybody out there listening, you know, ha don't need to be the, you don't need to be the center of attention, but feel free to speak up for what you believe in. You know what I mean? And make sure when you speak, it has, it has value behind it. Just don't talk to talk. You know what I mean? So. Well, you, you do, man, 100%. So listen, thank you again. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And uh, where can people follow you or get involved with the organization? And I'll put any links, obviously, like in the description as well. Yeah, I mean, websites, uh, headstrong.org, com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Not really, uh, you know, huge into TikTok, but I just got like an account on there. So I'm going to start looking into that. We'll that's a, that's another vehicle. We'll I know you're big into that stuff, so you sparked my interest there. For me, it's like I can't be on every platform. You know what I mean? So I love. I'm very visual, so Instagram is very appealing to me because of the the photography and the videography, the quality of stuff on there. I just love it. Just it it pleases my mind, you know. But I'm gonna give we'll give TikTok some some love as well. All right, we'll work on it. But <laughs> thank you again, dude. Yeah, no really problem. Appreciate this. Everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace.